there and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Welcome, everyone. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name's James. Back um, with you, James, Jimmy, Jimmy James. Again. Yep, whatever. Um, I go by a few names, but yeah. Jimmy, I suppose I call myself James. I think I've said that before. You, I generally call myself t- James. You, you do on podcasts. You don't notice your interview yeah. or when you're in church. You say, hello, my name is James, but none of us call you James. No, no one calls me James, except for my mum. That's it. So Even your wife doesn't call you James, except when you're in trouble? No, no, I'm Jimmy. I'm Jimmy, still Jimmy. Yep. Or Dal. That's not Dahl, me when she's got. Yeah. Uh, can you do something for me? Dal. Anyway. I can just um, see Aaron saying Dal. <laughs> hey, Dal. Um, this is another installment of the uh, Bible. Wait, what? Podcast? Come on, do better than that, James. Okay. Um, You're in trouble now. I called you James. <laughs> James, yeah. Um, the Bible. Wait, what? That's getting better. It's actually, so, it sounded just like the last one, but yeah, we'll, we'll like let that one. pass. Yeah. I think that's maybe a bit due to the fact that. Still getting over sickness. Yeah. It just yeah. doesn't ever go away. Well, we're actually recording this the week that the last episode you were sat here with was released. And that particular episode, apologies in advance for my croakiness, I actually went home and went to bed for 36 hours after, straight after that podcast. So um, we're back. It's a couple of weeks later, probably a month later in terms of listening to them in real time. But yeah. we're still both just taking a slow process yeah. of healing, aren't we? Yeah. I was getting better. And then I was out in the wind all day uh, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. And then it blocked me up again. And then. <sighs> Yeah, that's uh, all right. We're well, all we good. we persevere. We press on the hard things. We're about to go into lamentations. We're talking about lamenting anyway, so let's <laughs> yeah, have a little bit of a lament. What a way to start! Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sickness, it sucks. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, so this is the second week of uh, the series in the this section of the Kingdom Life series on prayer. Yep. Uh, so we're going to be looking at lamentations. Yep. I did a week which I recorded a few weeks back, but last week's episode with Kenny on praise, and now we're going to go to the. Kind of almost like the other end of the spectrum to lament. Yeah, from one to the other. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be jumping around a little bit as well. So we're going to be a bit in the Psalms, a bit in Corinthians, uh, Luke, and then also uh, Lamentations. Mm. So we're going to do it in that order. So instead of going through Old Testament, New Testament, which is what we've done the last few times, mainly us, I think probably that was dictated more so by what we had in front of us. The we content through, flowed, didn't it? Yeah, going that. through the life of David. So it worked a lot easier doing it that way. Um, yeah, we're going to jump around a little bit because I think it probably 
starting and finishing on the Old Testament is probably a good example because I think that that's probably maybe even the best examples of how to lament and lament well. Yeah, and sure. Especially for us in our culture where lament, uh, lamenting uh, is probably not a topic that's really spoken about much. It's not spoke. I don't think it's been well handled in evangelical Christianity, to be mm. perfectly honest, and that's partly why I wanted it in this series. Yeah. I think other forms of Christianity have got a better handle on it, maybe some of the more traditional or certainly the orthodox yeah. forms, but it's something that I think we maybe even have shied away from because we think that to lament is somehow not acting in faith, yeah. you know. Um, hopefully through our conversation today, we'll see that not only is lament actually a God-given thing, but it is actually expression of faith and can be a process to bring you to a place of faith to keep going through yeah. hard times. It helps you be able to process the emotions that you're feeling, all the things come against you, let you verbalize those things and and pretty much it's a, again we always say lay things at the feet of god the good and the bad if you if you're not willing to willing to have a whinge at god about what's going on in your life the person who can probably more Do chance of doing about, something about yeah, it exactly then uh are you really doing it really that well so i agree and i think a lot of people are afraid to because they've been seen it's been put a message has been put across that somehow to to have a complaint or to lodge a complaint with god or to pour out grief at a situation that you're facing that's hard is in itself not just an act of faith, but an act of lack of faith. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm on a bit of a mission to try to reverse that yeah. so that we can see that it doesn't have to be that. Definitely. And that creeps into our, even from our Australian culture, where you, if you complain and whinge about things, if you're not, oh, yeah, not doing well, gone all right, not yeah. bad, all that How sort of mate? stuff. Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah. Even if you're not. If, yeah. not, if you're not and you sort of, you know, talk about, things aren't going great in your life. You're labeled a whinger and all that sort of yeah. stuff. So it, it can creep in from culture as well. Absolutely. So um, that on top of our, maybe our Western understanding a little bit of, of how we uh, do Christianity and uh, some of the not so great parts and that we, we seem to bring into it yeah. uh, probably just stacks on top of each other. Yeah. Us. Hopefully we can unwind some of that and give some permission to people to process in a more healthy way, the hardships of life that we, we all face. We let's face it. We're not exempt from those because we're Christians so hopefully we can help you to process that in a more biblical and a more faithful way. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, let's uh, let's dive in to so Psalm 88. Psalm 88, we'll go there next. Psalm 88, uh, probably a psalm that, I think that probably more people would not have read this psalm before or probably if they had, they might have read part of it one time and then never probably gone back because it's not necessarily uh, a psalm that is one that you normally go to. We normally go to the psalms for, you know, building Lord up. Lord is my shepherd, yeah, I shall like not want. Just all these great things and, <laughs> yeah. you know, just to feel empowered and emboldened and be like, yes, how good's God? And, you know, this one is uh, – yeah, we're going to go down in the depths of how we're feeling and we're not feeling great, and we're going to stay there. We're going to stay there, James. That's right. It's um not the sort of thing that if you said to your songwriter in church, hey, write this into a worship song and sing it in church, I yeah. wonder what sort of response we would get from from our church congregation or from our band members if we were to put this. But it is. A, it's a song for the choir director, a psalm of the descendants of Korah, a song to be sung to the tune of the suffering of affliction. Even the tune is pretty. Yeah. The suffering of affliction, a psalm of Heman the Ezraite. So this is a... um. As you said, it's a psalm that is not probably well well visited 
uh, and probably could benefit from some visiting. I know N.T. Wright says this is uh, this particular psalm, which is why I would have chosen this 12 months ago, is um, is quite unique in the psalms. In many of them are song, songs of lament, and we know that mm. you know David pours out his heart and so on. This one is quite unique in that, if not totally unique, in that it doesn't end hopefully. It ends in the despair. There's this passage and there's Psalm and there's Job chapter two, which is very similar, uh, a poem that just ends in the despair. So uh, I think there's a place. Uh, That's how N.T. Wright says it. He says sometimes, sometimes we there comes a point at which we need to move beyond the despair. We need to go to those Psalms and pour out our heart and then move to but God. But yep. there are times where people aren't ready to move to but God and we need to give them space and permission to stay in Psalm 88 mode for a period of time. And we don't always do that well to uh, the detriment of our effectiveness in the church. Yeah. So I think we'll just tackle, we'll read through. It's not a um, particularly long psalm. So I think we'll just read through it. So there's, it's pretty much broken into sort of three like sort of sections in the way that it's sort of there, but it's just all one, yep. one sum of, uh, yeah, just a, crying out to the Lord. Um, yeah, just not necessarily. So rough overview. So that f- the first section is really just the the psalmist is just taking, like recounts all the things that are going wrong, takes them to the Lord, um, who in this point views as the source of his trouble. So yep. he's saying that this is like, I'm bringing it to you because this is it's you that have that's done this to that's me. That's right. Um, but also views that the Lord has the solution for what they're going through. Yeah, so it's right, not only yeah. saying that it's your fault that I'm going through this, but you're the one that's going to bring Still me looking to the d- deliverer yeah. in it. Yes. Agreed. So uh, even though that doesn't end on a high note, and I think that's probably one thing that we can probably take out and we'll, we'll take out we'll of a lot of these, out. is that even if we're going to the Lord and saying, it's your fault that I'm here. It's like, why, why can't you help me here? Like I'm struggling, whatever. This is all the stuff that's going on, but I know that you're the one that's going to get me out of this. And I think too often is that we can't, we find it hard to marry up this loving God, but then at the same time being like, yeah, I think that's probably our Western thing. We focus very much on the New Testament, God of love, God of peace, God of grace, all that sort of thing. But then when we get to the, well, when we're struggling, when we're going through things uh, and we're crying out to God and nothing's happening, well, it's, what do we do? Yes, like, and I think this is and this is a good model or a pattern we can we can do. Yeah, yeah, can still find God in the middle of the hardship. Yeah, yes, agreed. And so yeah, so that's the first section. The second section is sort of re-emphasizing his like conti- he's continuing to plea the same thing over and over again, and then starts questioning, like it puts a series of questions uh, that are almost like a a plea for help sort of thing. Mm. So it's like a, a question with a, you know, obviously if you respond, you're going to be able to help me get out of this type thing. Uh, and then the last section is a bit more of a, well, still obviously pleading to God and then accu- <laughs> accuses God of pretty much rejecting. Yeah. yeah rejecting ignoring. and neglecting him. Yes, uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, sees themselves like the psalmist is saying like that they're helpless and overwhelmed in this situation, but also before God, mm. um, that, you know, it's, and it just finishes on this thing of loneliness. Uh, it just finishes on. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Yeah. Darkness is my closest friend. Yeah. 
So that's a that's a pretty yeah. depressing way to end a song, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll just read through. Uh, that's sure. the sort of the summary. Uh, just so that. If there's anything that we sort of skip over as we read, uh, that's just the sort of bit of a that summary. That gives you a bit of a summary to go back and and remember that these psalms are designed to be meditative scripture. So yeah. to our listeners, uh, I find, I've said this before with the psalms, uh, I listen to the Bible rapidly. When I listen to it, that's not the right way to study the psalms. still takes me a week even listening to it rapidly to go through the psalms, but that's not how the psalms are designed to be read. They're designed to be meditated on, stewed over, prayed over, because they're meditative scripture. Yeah. And that's yeah. and that's why a lot of them are, are songs or poetry, exactly things like that. Designed to be slow, slow you down and reflect on. Yeah. Them. How often? How often do you hear a song once and you just slide, like you fly through Good that point. and then keep moving on to the next thing? You come back to that. The idea is we listen to songs again. over and over. That's right, and that's how it should be with the Psalms. Good point. Well said, Jimmy. Yep. Well said. Okay, so we'll start verse one. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead. Like a strong man with no strong, uh, strength left, they have left me among the dead. And I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. You have driven my friends away. By making me uh, repulsive to them, I am in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. You are, are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? O Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. O Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I have seen, I have been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. Three Lars in there and a Lar yeah. at the end. Yeah. Thinking, oh my goodness, there's a lot of reflection to do there, isn't there? Yes. I think probably the ones, and I think these are the I suppose I'm trying to think of uh, verses that would probably hit people because that's probably where they've been at times, sometimes not really knowing how to get through it. They might even be still sitting in that or it'd be a place that they go back to as they are working through things in their life. Okay. Yeah, that's good because it's quite encompassing in the sense that it's not one, it doesn't seem to indicate one kind of hardship, does no. it? It refers to loneliness and rejection and even sickness you could see in there. Yeah. So it covers the full range of human experience, yeah, doesn't it? Definitely. So I, th- I think the first thing that I got uh, drawn to in terms of trying to think of the way that, like even say even for myself, when I've, if like for things that I've gone through, uh, the things that I like that sort of resonated with me, then I think they probably would resonate with most people reading through this of like I've been there Uh is the the first one being like well, from verse nine? 
My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O oh Lord. I lift my hands to, um, to you for mercy. Uh, that's like that's sort of the first verse mm. that sort of jumped out. Because uh, I think that for, for most of us, we've at least can remember at least one time where we've just been in a situation, things have been coming against us, just been so overwhelming that all we could do is cry yeah. and cry to the point where we cannot even just see. Like, There's no way to see forward because no. tears are blinded. Yeah. Have blinded us, yes. And then all we can do is just cry out to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I think that we normally cry out to the Lord for a way to get out of a situation or for a way forward. But yep. I like that it says here, I lift your uh I lift my hands to you for mercy. So it's not asking for a way out per se. It's actually asking for mercy for the situation that has come against them. Yes, almost like just having encountering God fresh in the hard situation rather than somehow automatically being focused on deliverance from the situation. Yeah. Good thought. Yeah, Because I think that's probably for for me whenever I think of those situations, if like if the first thing I have done is to to pray or pray through that situation – it's never been – it's always been to help me get through it or get out the other side. It hasn't been to sort of – Stand up in it. Yeah. That's a really good point you make and an important pastoral point we make because when we have far, hardships in our life, we can fall into this trap of thinking that we'll be okay when the hardship ends. Yeah. Whereas I think if you look at the full account of Scripture, that does happen sometimes. Hebrews 11, first half of Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 talks about people who are delivered by faith from their hardships. But the second half of Hebrews 11 talks about people who experienced and were commended for their faith in their hardship, even though they didn't see the breakthrough. And they were going through some of these kind of situations, betrayal, misunderstanding, illness, uh, anxiety, the things we're talking about. And I think you're right that we don't need to be free from a situation in order to experience the mercies of God. Yeah. And we'll come back to that in Lamentations that he's in the middle of it. The mercies are new every morning. That famous scripture is in Lamentations. Yeah. And I think that's a, a wonderful point that you make to listeners is that you can experience God's presence, God's mercy, God's touch in your life, God's hopefulness in your life, even in the midst of the dark time that you're facing. Yeah. I love that, Jimmy. That's definitely well said. Thank you. For, I haven't seen that before. I like how it says in that same phrase about being blinded with tears. He says, uh, he goes, I'm lifting my hands to you, Lord, mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? So there's, yeah. this, there's this faith that God can do it. But I guess the question many of us face is w- this trust of whether God will do it. Yeah. Oh, I believe God can heal Jimmy, but will God heal me? I believe that God can do this for Jimmy, but will God do that for me? God, Does God want to do it? I, I'm, it's not that we don't have a lack of faith in the power of God, we maybe have a struggle with the willingness of God. Yeah. And I think this shows us this is cry out to God, go, God, it's all well and good. I want but I want it now. I want to see your mm. I want to see your goodness in the land of the living, as Job said. Yeah. And I think a lot of and I I think that's reflected like I think about a lot of the other things we've talked about previously in podcasts and just in general conversation. It's always about that we should be thinking about the community, like even we think about like the, so the podcast that we most recently recorded was about spiritual gifts mm. and the use of spiritual gifts were not for ourselves. Yes. They were for the church. And I think that for a lot of time for Christians is we're, we're always thinking of 
for others. Yeah, great. So like there, you can we can be very selfish pe- people, <laughs> even as Christians. But generally, when we're thinking about the move of God happening, is normally it's for about the benefit of God's benefit kingdom, of, yeah. other people. Yes. So then, when we're like when we're sitting in a like where it's very easy to pray for others or right. pray out to God for others when they're struggling and when they go through things. But when we're going through it, we're just like thinking about getting out the other side. We're not thinking about sitting in it because then you can very much get in that narrative of, oh, how's this affecting like the people? Like if I get up and go up for prayer in church and like, and I'm asking the pastor every single time about the same thing, are they going to get sick of me coming up all, all the time? Like it's it, it can be that thing of where we're I think we're conditioned a little bit as Christians to try because we're like we think too much for ourselves. We have got to think about others, but when we're in this situation, this is it's actually healthy for this to reflect, be self reflective, yeah. and, and look at your own situation. Yeah, and I, I think yeah. what you're saying is a good example of uh, it has to do with the heart. I mean, sometimes a person will come forward for prayer every Sunday but there's not really any genuine desire. I mean, this, this prayer, even though this is a, this Psalm is written without any final words of hope, it's the hope is hidden in there in the fact that the, that the Psalmist is still looking to God. So, you know, if a person is hungry for God in the midst of the anguish, I would say, present yourself for prayer, allow the Lord to move every time. You're going to be of no good to anybody else anyway, if you're not in a a more um, healthy position yourself. So, Keep presenting yourself to to God in that way. I think that's healthy as long as as long as you're saying to a pastor or a leader, pray with me, and you're in, you're, you're clinging on with all you've got. Yeah. If I uh, put it this way, if if a person or if a leader is more interested in your own seeing a breakthrough for you than you are, then you're probably not necessarily in the right spot. That's not to say that it's always easy to see a breakthrough. I'm not yeah. I, I'm, I'm not looking for a person who's full of faith and declaring great things because sometimes people like Psalm 88 shows sometimes people aren't there. Yeah. But I'm looking for say, you know, can you find God in this situation? Are you yeah. open? Even if you're just clinging on by yeah. the skin of your teeth, can you hang on to God in this situation? Let's pray you hang on to God in yeah. that. I, hey, to me, that's that's one of the privileges of pastoral care. Hmm. is to be able to walk with people through those kinds of dark times. Yeah. And I think uh, the clinging on, uh, can you see God in this situation? That like the, one of my first thoughts when you say that, which is not what you're actually saying, is that uh, can you see God in the situation? Not like can you see God through the situation? See, see God through the situation. And that's the thing is like I think even though you said you? Can, you, can you see God through the situation, like is that, even though that whatever it is that's going on, can you still see God? Can you, can you still see the fact that he is there rather than can you see God in the situation is that can you see God working in the situation that you're in? That's a better way to put it. So there's two. And I think that both of them are important. Like, But if you're in the situation, you can't see God in the situation, can you at least see God even though you, like through the situation? Through the, can, can you see God? Can you encounter some sense of God with you. Yeah. That's what I'm probably yep. should have clarified it. it. It's God wants to be with you and walk the journey with you. Yep. Will you allow him to come alongside you? Yep. Sometimes the mountain will be moved. Sometimes he will help you climb the mountain, yep. but he does not want you to climb the mountain alone. Yep. He wants to draw near to you in that situation. Let's pray that you experience God. And sometimes God will say, right, now's the time to pray. I've had different people where I've prayed. I've gone, this is, we're going to, I've got faith to believe. Let's believe together. This mountain's going to move. But there yeah. are other times where I feel like, no, I think for whatever reason in God's infinite wisdom, this is a mountain to climb. Let's 
let's pray that God walks with you and you sense him walking beside mm. you up that mountain. Yeah. So that's yeah. why sometimes it could take days, weeks, months, years. Absolutely. Yeah, and all of them, all of those exactly, and that's and for and there's no right or wrong. The the out the physical outcome of uh, receiving freedom from a dark time is actually less important than the attitude we have and the experience of God we have in that dark time. Yeah. The Bible is full of healing. The Bible is full of those things. So as a as a Pentecostal, I believe and pray for all those things, all the while aware that. Uh, and this might sound callous, but all the while aware that even if even if the thing dies, even if the situation never gets better, I have still have faith in the goodness of God and I want to pray for that because like Hebrews 11 says, you're commended for your faith. And in the end, that's actually what's more important. And that's what will last into eternity yep. will be how you found God in the hardship more so than whether or not the healing or the miracle happens or you see the provision or whatever. Yep. It's actually not as important to God as the attitude we have, which will have eternal consequences. Yeah. Mm. And that's, that comes back to that character thing, with, which we've talked about before, is that your, your character, you will see your true character and your growth in your character by how you... Correct. How you endure hard yeah. times. That's right, how right. we do it. Yep. Clip, clip that, um, post that on socials. That's <laughs> that one. Um, the other one is... Yeah, so and the other one is the... Like in verse 13 and 14 where it's, O Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. O Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I think that that's one where I think verse 13 is, again, something that we're probably conditioned to act in that way. When you're going through something, just keep going to the Lord, keep so that day by day, keep playing day by day, but we sort of forget that we'll, we'll, verse 14 is a very real feeling that we'll get on a regular basis. We feel like God has rejected us. We because hear- if, you can't, if you can't hear God, if you can't see God, like it's, or if you feel as though that it's just the situation isn't changing, it's like, well, <laughs> why do you reject me? Mm-hmm. Like, why do you turn your face from me? Like, Aren't you a loving God? Aren't you a God that's meant to be dragging me through this? Aren't you meant to be God that's meant to help me see the other side? You're meant to be bringing people around me, like all those things. And if you can't see that, that you're going to be thinking God's rejecting me. Mm. Yep. And I think that's just an important thing to know is that you're not alone in feeling that because God had someone write it into the Bible. Yeah, and it's and there. not just <laughs> this time, multiple times, David yeah. will say, "Lord, where you've rejected me," or. You've yeah. left me or you've abandoned me, those sorts of words. And Jesus even quoted David on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Straight out of the Psalms. So this is a very common human experience, that yeah. sense of rejection. And yeah. it's not wrong to pour that feeling out to God. Yeah. I think we're going to say that a lot of times today. Yeah. Is yeah. That, and that's the whole the whole point. It's the whole point of yeah. the concept of lamentation, yeah. Yeah. And the, the I suppose like yeah, your fierce anger has overwhelmed me your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. I don't think that that's ever something that we can ever – it's like it's a strange way because I I think I'm conditioned in a way to think that – like I even know that we'll read in a later – I think it's in one of the ones we have later is that, you know, God will never bring anything against us that we can't uh, – yeah, we, we don't Corinthians have the strength. Yeah, so yep. I think it's going to be one that we go across today. But it doesn't mean that 
you won't feel overwhelmed or paralyzed. Like you won't feel <laughs> your fierce anger has overwhelmed you. Like you won't like you will, it will be hard. It's not, I think that when we read, like think about that verse about that, you know, he will not like, you know, pretty much saying he won't give anything that we won't be able to overcome. Mm. We always think that, okay, well, we shouldn't necessarily ever feel too bad about things. We mm. should never be able to uh, have something come against us that, you know, we shouldn't be able to get over within a few days or, you know, a couple of weeks or something like that. And I think that's very much one playing down how strong we actually are as people and how much we can actually endure. Yep. Because how like, but because we see so many inspirational stories of people that go through incredible the most adversity, hectic things yeah. in life. Well, when we get there, we'll see that we'll talk about. It. Yeah. We get there, so stay tuned. But that scripture is often taken out of its context. Oh, yeah. so, to say things like what we're saying here, and that's not what it's saying. No. We'll, we'll deal with it when we get there. Yeah. But exactly right. People go through tremendous hardships and their lives are refined for the better yeah. by that hardship. Yeah, they come out the other side. Exactly. And no, I think, you know, yeah. It's a Jim comment, but it's true. No pain, no gain. You yeah. know? And there is a sense in which that is the human condition. Yeah. Um, we become more resolute. We become more human as we endure hardship. Yeah. Because Jesus told us to take up our cross. That means there's going to be some hardships in life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's... So I would say as we close out Psalm yeah. 88, we'll, we'll probably find ourselves repeating ourselves a bit, but it's a good psalm to go to if you're facing some challenges right now. Uh, spend some time there and just just meditate on it. Don't feel like you have to rush onto. You can go onto Psalm 89 and you'll see Psalm 89 is also... A, a song of uh, kind of um, it moves it moves from <coughs> a place of lament onto a place of hopefulness. It's the yep. same, it's written by the same guy, so you can go there, but don't rush to Psalm eighty nine. Yep. Park yourself in Psalm eighty eight and let those emotions that that uh, the psalmist is saying let them express ex- let them be your expression of emotion. Yep. See what God will do. He's not threatened by that. Yep. All right. So we're going now to Psalm, Psalm one thirty. All right, Psalm 130. So this one here, just a little bit of an overview. Uh, so this is one of the, um, still part of the Psalms of Ascent, uh, which is rough, was Psalm 120 through to 134 or something like that, 15 Psalms or so, yeah. Um, so yeah. we have talked about what they were in previous. Yeah. So previous pilgrimage episodes. to Jerusalem. Um, yeah, songs so. they would sing on their way to Jerusalem for the feasts. Yep, that's yeah. right. So in So they're pretty much... This is a psalm that they sing on the way to Jerusalem. To celebrate God. To celebrate God. And this is you quite, there might be others, I don't think, most of the others are very positive. Yep. This one is once again a lament, but it's in there. It's in yep. that list of, it's in the hymn book for that that trip. Yeah. And and I think that's because, again, like there'll be people on that trip who exactly. will be going through these things. Exactly. The people who are coming to God like like um, mm. uh, Hannah. Yep. who comes to God because she can't have a child. She's lamenting and she pours herself out in, in the book of Judges. Uh, no, Samuel, 1 Samuel. Yep. She's pouring her heart out to God and the priest thinks she's drunk because she's weeping and, and lamenting before the Lord. But she knew where to go. She knew yep. to go to the house of God. And so I think you're absolutely right, Jimmy. We sort of think, oh, yeah, this, yeah we're off to presence conference. It's going to be amazing. Or we're all off to, to a conference together. But at any given time, yep. there are going to be people 
in any group going to a conference or to church mm. on a Sunday that are going to be going through hard times. Yeah. And there has to be space for that. Great, great call. I like yeah. that. I hadn't thought about it that way. Uh, yeah, so we're – so just quick – it's only eight verses, so we'll end up just reading it through like sure. we did the last one. Um, but pretty much just starts with crying out for help and pleading for, for God's mercy and then ask for – like or sort of ask for forgiveness type thing, uh, stating that no one uh, could endure Yahweh's scrutiny for sins um, sort of thing and then works through – um, into the last section, which is, I uh, might as well just read that. Yeah, read it, read it, just read it. it. Yeah. You'll get the, you'll get the idea by us reading it. Um, so verse one, uh, from the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord, pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you uh, but you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than uh, centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for the uh, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. I love that. Yeah. I think that... I'll we'll sort of do what we did with the last one and just sort of pull out things that I think that we've can identify can with. identify with. Yeah. Um, I think well, definitely that verse three. Um, if you if you if if you kept record of our sins, who could ever survive? Yeah, it's, I that's think the truth. It's very true, and I think that we probably just don't think of that enough. But when you do think of it, you're like, oh, geez, <laughs> it's like that. Uh, and uh, was it Bruce Almighty? When he pulls out the uh, the drawer, uh, and the drawer, just think, is this finally coming? Oh yeah, drawer, it just keeps going, and it just keeps going, it? going, 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 it's like going, that. going. Like, it's, uh, like if we had, if God kept a record of the things in our life that we've done wrong, um, that it would be like that. It that, would be like that. Uh, like faithful, as he says, you yeah. know, God is faithful and offers forgiveness. Yeah, and, and then um, that. yeah, that we might f- learn to fear you. And I think that, and that's not necessarily fear, as in. It's like that reverent fear, like the... Well, um, if you if you think about the greatness of God, mm. the power and majesty and holiness of God, and yet think that he is a God who doesn't keep a, a drawer where he's writing down every one of our sins mm. so that it fills the whole earth because we do so many things wrong and make so many poor choices. If you think about that, that drives me to a wonder and an awe and amazement. How yeah. great is God who has no reason other than his love for me to forgive me. Yep. He doesn't stand to gain anything by forgiving me. He doesn't need to forgive me. He chooses to. I'm in awe of that. Yeah. 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 In verse six, I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. And so this is centuries, not centuries. It's centuries as in soldiers. Guards, guards. Soldiers. Yep. Um, so if anyone's worked night shift before. <laughs> It is, this is like you. I'm old, Jimmy. I get that way waiting for midnight on New Year's <laughs> Eve these days. <laughs> I'm longing for midnight Long, so I can go to bed. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, it literally is that if you're, if you know that you're knocking off at six o'clock and you know that sunrise is at 5.45 or 5.50, you're just waiting for that sun to, to come up. Yeah. Cause you know that you can just start packing up and get ready yeah, to walk out that door. Right. It's the. It's that kind of longing. It's because you don't realize, because 
and I think that thing is that we're not made like our bodies are made like we have the the circadian rhythms and yep. all that so that we are made to be awake during sunlight and asleep when it's dark. Yep. And so sentries which don't have I suppose like we can stay up later because we also then have technologies and lights and all this sort of stuff that will actually are made to keep us awake. Mm, mm. Where they're there by oil lamps yep. and candles. Lamps and, and, and torches, like that, basically. Torches. And flaming torches. Flaming I mean, torches. Not, not, not so battery which, torches. Again, which don't give off the same light, same things to stimulate us to keep us oh, awake. totally. You think about the flickering of f- fire and how even that yeah, can fall make you drowsy. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So yeah. you can imagine this. It's a very vivid picture. The fact that it's repeated twice, yes. Yeah. They all know what that feels like. And they're going, oh, yes, I get that feeling. Yeah. I've got to long for the Lord more than that. Yeah. Yeah, so you just pretty much you, the longing for that sunrise to come to know that that's that you can go is something like if you haven't experienced that, it is like it's again, it's anytime if you just have no try it once, mm. like just have no lights on in your house, no TV, no phone, no nothing. Just put a candle just on. Just put a candle on. Try and stay awake and just see how long yeah how long you'll stay awake for, and try standing there and doing it. Yeah, just stand yeah, there. Wow. And see how long you last from say eight pm. Yep. Yeah. Put the kids to bed and then have a little experiment with yourself in the lounge room, and and just shut all the curtain. Like you can have the curtains open, I suppose, moonlight, <laughs> that sort of stuff isn't a bad thing. Um, and just stay, see how long you last. Yeah. Uh, and imagine that a sentry is on, not switched off. A sentry is looking out into the shadows, hmm. looking for the slightest hint of movement against the city walls. Yeah. That is an emotionally exhausting way yep. to live. Yeah. I can see why they would feel tired, not just physically, but mentally drained. Yeah. That the, you know, there's a lot of responsibility. A century mm. has a lot of responsibility. I think that's an amazing picture you've drawn mm. there, of what it must be like to be just desperate for that to end, mm. and knowing you can't fall asleep. Yeah. And going, the way I need to pursue God is more mm. than that person waiting for morning. Yeah. Wow. That's um. That gives food for thought. I wonder how much we we do that. I wonder how much we prioritize the Lord in that way. We could just if we could just capture some of that emotion. We all know yeah. what it's like to be, even aside from that. I mean, you know, we all know what it's like to be incredibly tired, but we just know we can't go to sleep yet. Yeah, we've got a job to do, or there's something happening, or we're waiting up. And yeah, it's ironically one of the fu- the tiredest times I was was we were on Israel and. Um, and I'd been up really, I was still on jet lag. I'd been up since 4am and walked up the Mount of Olives. And late in the afternoon, we went on this tour through the um, Israel Museum, uh, the Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum. The time before I'd been on my own, it was great. We had this tour guide who was so boring. We're not going to take a tour guide <laughs> when we go back there. Honestly, he was so boring. Hmm. And and I had the t- I'm running this tour and I'm standing listening to this tour guide and I'm just going, nodding off completely. <laughs> and I literally could not stay awake. Yeah. I think I was standing up falling like that. I could not stay awake, but I'm thinking to myself, I have to, yeah. I'm the leader of this tour. These people are relying on me. Yeah. And, um, I was so tired. And I think we all can all experience that feeling mm. and we'll capture that and go, am I that, do I long for the Lord that way? Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's, um, I've not seen that in that Psalm before. Yeah. So it's, and it's, so, and you got to think that that's, where that longing is coming out of from the depths of despair, oh Lord, I call for your help. Like it's the, you're so deep in your despair. You're crying out to the Lord, pay attention to my prayer. That's the first two verses. Mm. And then we're looking at, you know, how like you just 
You don't have to keep, you don't keep, thankfully, you don't keep record of my sins because you don't need it. Yes, you don't right. need to. Like, I just, that's just so mind blowing to me. The fact that like I have trouble getting over one small thing that someone does against me, but yet the whole world, you just don't keep record of wrongs. Yeah. What a gush, gracious, wow. No wonder we're in awe of him. Yeah. And then you come out, I'm counting on the Lord. Yes, I'm counting on him. I put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord like centuries long for the dawn. It's just that I don't like I don't think that I've ever it like consciously thought about do I long for the Lord that much that or have I ever been in a situation where that I've been whether it's I've been so far in the depths of the despair or just any time in my life that I've longed for the Lord that much to be out just I just wanna I just want to see you. Like I'm just hanging out so much for you to be there. Yeah, I, it's it's such a great image, and I and I think that it's such a it makes it makes even more sense why it's in there is that they're on this pilgrim to Jerusalem mm, to meet with the Lord to meet with the Lord. Yeah, and they're singing this song, and then so it's not just the people who are in that despair, but all the people that. Uh, they're supporting traveling them, with them, traveling yep. with them. Yep. A lot of them would know what they're going through, being like that we are with you, like we're like we're singing this song alongside you. And yes, like we too are longing for the Lord the same way you are. And we know and we know how much it is for us. And we know then therefore we know how much more it must be for you in the, in what you're going through, how much you're longing for him. Great. And then, yeah, at the end, yeah, for O Israel, I hope, um, hope, hope, in, the Lord. hope in the Lord, for the Lord, um, for with the Lord, there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He will, uh, he himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. And that's another Jesus scripture. Um, yes, there. yes, that's true. There's a messianic prophecy almost yeah. there, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So that, that's just that if, like you build, it's building to that crescendo. Like that, it's like that. Uh, if you're music, like musically inclined, that verse, like that six, is that that building bridge to the point where you hit the crescendo, where you come back into that amazing chorus, back into, into the, the chorus end. again. Like that is that we've been say like you've been going through like everything before. That's just been a verse. You've come out of this amazing chorus and you've just gone into this deep verse of of, of a struggle bridge, and. Yep things that are going on, but then it's that bridge. But I long for the Lord as centuries dawn, come for the day. Oh, Israel, hope is in the Lord. It's you like should that see Jimmy, up the other folks. Side. He's yeah. actually like songwriting right yeah. here. He's got drums. He's doing the music. He's- I'm sure I've probably heard someone do Psalm 130 before somewhere, but it's like that really that bring up out the other side is that that for the Lord there is, uh, for in the with the Lord there is unfailing, unfailing love. love. Yeah, what His a great redemption crescendo. overflows. Yeah. Yes, you can see them sort of building and and they started crying out to God because of despair. Mm. Ends with this crescendo of hope. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Compared to Psalm eighty eight, this this is actually this version is this form is the most common. Yeah, I think that that's the ultimate goal is to get to that point where there is hope. We remain hopeful in God, and I think I like the fact that Psalm eighty eight is there to give us permission at times to stay there. But you won't stay in Psalm 88 for the rest of your life. No. Like, you know, the idea is to move beyond that. And I think it's just like, it's okay to stay there for a while, mm. but more often than not, 
most times we can move beyond. We can mm. use Psalm 130 as a model and move yeah. into this crescendo of hope that he is with me, his love is unfailing, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. God's going to be with us. He's going to redeem us from sin and and we're going to experience fresh hope. Yep. And I wonder if this, you know, even this song, the fact that there's a lot of reference to sin there makes me think this, this is the sort of song they could be singing on as a head up for the Day of Atonement because mm. the Day of Atonement is about Israel's sin as a nation. Yep. So if you put that in that context, this celebration of God's forgiveness, this mm. psalm would fit yep. with a preparing for God forgiving us of our sins. Imagine if God hadn't forgiven us as a nation. We keep falling short, but God is faithful. He doesn't remember our sins. Oh, it seems so dark, but we're coming up to this time of refreshing. Remember the Lord, he's going to forgive us of our sins yep. and wipe our slate clean. What a what an, a great way to finish um, in a place of hopefulness. Yeah. Yeah. Through the lament to the hopefulness. Yep. All right. All right. Now uh, we're going to jump the, into the New Testament. New Testament into to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Yep. Alrighty, we are now in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 into the New Testament, a little bit earlier than what we've done it in our podcast before, but it really fits with the flow of what we're doing here uh, today. So we've been able to go through the Psalms. So the the songs of Israel, pretty much the, mm, the, the, the worship they, hymnal of Israel. Israel. So we've been able to go through that. So Psalm 88, which is, you know, really just sat uh, in, in that despair, in the, in, in the lament it's it's sitting there and then we get into 130 which is that transition from starting from the depth of despair through to like the praising of the lord and, and hopefulness yeah and hopefulness at the end so now we're going to jump over into the new testament into 1 corinthians and yeah so we're going to be pretty much just rolling through and having should say look. although there's not a whole massive amount of lament stuff mm. there the little pockets of it here paul had a lot of reason to lament about this church yeah. because this was his – he spent a lot of time – I think he spent 18 months or two years planning this church, and then he's not in Corinth. He's in Ephesus when he's writing this letter, mm. and, and things aren't going well in yep. in Corinth. There's some pretty messed up things happening, and uh, he's he's lamenting into some degree going, oh, is this going to work out? He's wondering you – know, he's mm. got a heart for these people. He loves them, but they're making some mistakes along the way as they figure out what living as a Christian looks like. So you get little snippets of Paul's own lament and hope, hopefulness – well, yep. almost sense of hopelessness, is it worth it? And then finding hope himself in God as we read through First Corinthians. Yep. So, um, yeah, so start off like Paul's looking at Christian leadership um, sort of thing about you know, the leaders of the church uh, and then also then talking about that suffering is a hallmark of, of being a Christian, Christian. in ministry, and yep. particularly a Christian in ministry. And the two words that he uses in that, um, which is – in that first part, like I, I think it's in the NRSV that we actually uses those words, um, is the two hallmarks of being a servant. I'll just, oh, I've scrolled too far. Is being a servant and being a steward. Mm-hmm. So that's being leadership. So that's what leadership yeah, looks like. Is so there's that servanthood. So like, and Christ modeled this. Yeah. It's that that servant attitude. As as so the, the leadership shall be the least. Yeah, it's the yeah. Uh, yeah, we have a thing with the, the first shall be last. The first shall be last. And uh, yeah, so we do that when um, a few of my mates that we've been playing um, golf for a, a long time, none of us are necessarily amazing at it, but um, we have a wooden spoon 
who the winner gets that. The winner gets the wooden spoon. And it says the first shall be last. So oh, okay. like the wooden spoon is traditionally the team that comes last. Yes. So the winner gets our, the wooden spoon. Yeah. I like it. It's, you know, not necessarily everything in context, but it was just that whole, th- it was just that, you know, little thing that we play for. And a reminder like that, you know, the whole reason that we're there is not to, you know, be the best person out there. Enjoy our time together. Yeah, so if you, if you win, you technically came last. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that idea of leadership, servanthood uh, and being a steward and so being a good steward of not only what God has given you in your gifts, and but also being a steward of um, everything that in that comes with leadership. Right. Um, so God's house and uh, the church and the people and all of that. Uh, so then uh, then it moves forward. And I've gone into the wrong part. Apologies. Just getting my notes in the right order. It would always be helpful. And then we yeah, move through into the second part and then – Paul then, so from verse 14 onwards, so that's the first 13 verses, then Paul um, starts, he appeals to the Corinthians uh, as the person who pretty much, who founded their church. He, he was the first one to yeah, come with the gospel. The, yeah, exactly. So um, what he's saying here in First Corinthians 4 is, yeah. hey, I, I started the church. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, so, and drawing on their relationship that they have and like urges them to trust in his character uh, and imitate him as a worthy Christ follower. So that's that. Like, I suppose if you th- talk about humble leadership, that could sound very not much like humble leadership. But at the same time, he's doing it because he knows that you need a you need an example to follow. And that is f- humble. That is humble. That's right. Because there's this sense of in the yeah. church of pride developing. Like it's starting with some following Apollos and some yeah. following Paul and some, some they all, there's a lot of factioning happening and power yeah. play happening. And he's trying to say, Hey, look, I've guys, I've got every reason to pull rank here. Yeah. I planted the church, but I'm not pulling rank. Yeah. I want to let you know that even though I could, I'm not. Yeah. Because it, we don't unite around Paul or Apollos or Peter. We will unite around Jesus. Yeah. That's kind of the, the feel he's trying to do. Yeah. So, well, that's just sort of the overview. Um, just trying to think. I didn't necessarily have any weight watts that sort of jumped out at me here um, when I went th- read through it. And mm-hmm. I, maybe I think it's probably because Corinthians is one of those books that I've read a lot. Yeah, sure. So it's one of those ones where everything's rather familiar to me. But I think that that I like. I think the main the main points were first the was the idea on leadership. Hmm. Um. But then also that the way that the church was in that second part, say from verse six onwards, I think it is roughly verse six onwards, uh, where they start talking about that suffering is a hallmark of Christian ministry. Yes, because they were seeing the hallmark of Christian ministry as somehow some prowess, the prowess of significance. Yeah. I'm of the faction of this person or I'm of the faction of, oh, he's our leader and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And there was factions always happen when there's power play. Yeah. And Paul is trying to say, no, Christ's uh, Christ's kingdom is most exemplified in a willingness to give up your rights, yep. in in suffering, in saying, I suffer for Christ. And he actually will go on and say, he actually says, I wish you guys would understand that. Where is this? Um, it's about uh, uh, probably verse 9. Uh, go from verse 8. It says, uh, verse 8, it says, you think you already have everything you need? Mm. You think you're rich? You have begun to reign in God's kingdom without us. I wish you really were reigning, for then we would be reigning with you. 
Instead, I sometimes think that God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victory parade condemned to die. We've become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you claim to be so wise. We are weak, but you seem so powerful. You are honored, but we are ridiculed. Even now we go hungry and thirsty. We don't have enough clothes. We're beaten. We're weary. Mm. We continue to bless those who curse us. We're patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently even when things are said about us. We're treated like the world's garbage. And he says, I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warn you. He's trying to say the way to height in God's kingdom is through suffering, not through power play, not through pushing yourself forward. And that's what they were doing. Yep. And he wants to say, look at my life. An apostle, I have been beaten, flogged, whipped, tortured, yep. laid down my life. And he's saying, that's what I. That's what the Christian life is like and should be like. It's, yep. a, it's a humble uh, giving up of your right. So that's the, I think that's the point he's making in this chapter uh, is, is the life of suffering yep. is actually the, the true way to Christian life. Yeah. I've got two thoughts out of that is that the first one is that where that really sits in with roll with when we come with lament is that if we're in leadership and we aren't experiencing persecution, we aren't experiencing hard times, down times, things we're struggling with, we're either not being very true with ourselves or we're probably not being a very good Christian leader. Yeah, great. Because, yeah. Because leadership is hard. Leadership is hard. There's a a cost. Definitely. And that's the, I think that, I think that in so in in our in our particular ch- like locations, our church mm-hmm. locations, under uh, yourself and Jill. Uh, so for myself at um, at Camden under Edwina as well, and a lot of our leaders um, show that. But I'm sh- knowing Terry and Ivana, it'd be very Absolutely. much the same with yep. them as well. Uh, it's and Jeff as well at yep. at th- at Thrill. It's demonstrating that uh, leadership isn't easy. Leadership isn't just all about the wins, um, that you're going to have struggles and hard times and things you, you're going to come across very things. And and you are all very open with things that you've struggled with mm. and things you, you mm. found hard because very much so we as, as a church in general, we just, we very good at putting leaders up on pedestals as if they're perfect. I think we've talked about this we again have, before yeah. um, is that that's very much a, a thing that ends up happening is that we don't, we almost don't allow leaders to go through or to properly work through their hard times because we don't True. We put the pressure put on the them pressure to on not them. actually express that they're actually going through hard times. And that's times. exactly what Paul's facing in Corinth. Yeah. In fact, others are coming in and saying, oh, look at Paul's hardships. That's a sign that he's not in the will of God. Yeah. That's a sign that he's not a very good leader because if he was a good leader, he wouldn't be in jail right now. He'd yeah. be successful. Yeah. And he's constantly coming up against that and he's trying to say, no, that hardship and suffering and lament is actually a part of the call of God. Yeah. yeah. I like, hello, like who, I came and shared you the gospel of Jesus. What was his life like? Exactly. <laughs> that's that's that. the point. You know, and then, so yeah. we, we measure yeah. success by the wrong things. And when we yeah. do, we don't give space to hardship and lament. Yeah. And that was, and that goes straight into that second point is that as a church that as the fact that we have denominations, the fact that we have even inside denominations, we have different branches of churches inside denominations. It's the, it just shows that we're not very good at um, understanding that what ministry actually looks like and the power plays inside Christian ministry that happen is that, you know, 
the very much understand why we went from you know, Christian history. We went from a, being the one holy united Catholic church, as yes. in like Catholic as in the whole universal. church. Yep, universal, that's what the church, word means, yep. Into having the two denominations, which we had like the where the Protestant church came out of. Yep. And which is, so it's the Catholic church and everyone else. Is yes, where it's certainly in the West. From. You've got the Orthodox churches in the yeah. East, but yes. And that's sort of where that all, that split sort of came from is that whole idea of that they weren't doing the right thing. So we're going to split. Okay. That makes sense. But then from in there, we've done the split on split on split which is on split. Very often come from human power play. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They, they're often birthed out of um, human power. Now, God in his grace works with that and we can't necessarily unwind all that, although I think he's done some work in recent years of of giving it a, deg- a higher degree of unity among denominational yep. lines than perhaps, you know, where denominations once split over things, they're quite comfortable to hang out together and unite together on things. I think that's the grace of God. That's a beautiful picture. Yep. But, yes, it does come from factioning. Yep. And Paul would say it's not about us. You know, endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ, he will say somewhere else. I don't know where, I can't remember now, mm. but that's what he'll say. So, yeah, I think there's a there's a picture there in 1 Corinthians 4, and we're going to do other chapters subsequent as well. Yep. It's not it's not an easy church situation he's facing, but he will continue to encourage them to stay strong in the Lord, stay faithful, and teach them about what really matters. And sometimes that what really matters is a life that is endures hardship. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else there you've got? No, that's it on that one. All right, we're going to chapter five now. Yep, chapter five. One Corinthians chapter five. Uh, So, as the title says, um, Paul condemns spiritual pride, um, but he's very much, as it says in the first verse. Um, talks a lot about sexual immorality. Uh, so, yes, it does. Yeah. A specific a specific kind of sexual immorality is yeah. what we talk about. So yeah, it's we'll read out the first verse and then uh and then, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Go from there. It says, I can hardly believe the report about sexual immorality going on among you. Something that even the pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. Now that's a pretty heavy way to start start like a section of your letter. I know that obviously it's all one letter, but it's just that the fact that, and it's just something that as the church we talk about all the time is that uh, sexual immorality is not just a thing of the world. It's something that's in the church. And I, th- um, the fact that, yeah, something that, they, something that for them, something that even the pagans don't do. This, yeah. So what was happening here, this kind of relationship, hmm. um, the, it says, the Greek says his father's wife. So, yeah. A stepmother, yeah. yeah. So this kind of practice where he's decided to sleep with his stepmother yeah. was obviously something that even even pagans thought was yeah. not appropriate and it's happening within the church. And And he's heard about this because a bit of context of 1 Corinthians is that we, we don't know the whole story. It's a bit like listening to one side of a phone conversation, mm. N.T. Wright says. But it, what we do know is that uh, he's in prison and that some people from Corinth have obviously come with a list of questions yeah. and they've come to give a report to him because things aren't going well in Corinth. There's some factioning, there's some like this sort of thing. He's getting a report. Now he's rep- responding to that report. And one of those reports is, oh, well, you won't believe what this person's doing. This person's yeah. been up to. I won't get, pick your name because mm. you won't believe, won't believe what uh, this guy's been up to. Yeah. And Paul's going, whoa, okay, we need to address this. And that's yeah. what he's doing. And because they, they're clearly saying, he's going to go on and say, you, they actually were deceived into thinking this was a good thing. Yeah. Because, oh, well, you know, if we live in sin, God's grace is there to cover yeah. it. So 
Paul's trying to bring some correction to that. Yeah, like so, it's not just bringing correction just to this one particular thing, but that also to the, like the church, the church's like tolerance of sin, like even to the point where they're proud of the way that they address it, which you know that all yeah. grace will, you know, grace will cover, cover it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, we'll just sort of um, move through uh, the chapter. Um, we've got. Oh, that's oh, that's sort of yeah. That's the whole chapter. It's only thirteen verses. Yeah, it's the whole thing's about this story. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so we'll just pick up on chapter two. Um, so you were so proud of yourselves. Verse two. Yeah, verse two. Sorry, what did I say? Chapter. It's all right. I'll just verse clarify two. so people don't confuse yeah. people. Yeah, we're going from chapter five, chapter two. Um, so yeah, verse two. Uh, you are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. You should have. Uh, you should remove this man from your fellowship, even though I am not uh, with you in person. I am with you in spirit. And as uh, as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. In the name of the Lord Jesus, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Wait, what? Yeah, I know. This is a wait what moment, isn't it, when you think about it? So we touched on and it's mainly because the podcast that we did last time just came out, is that we even touched on that there are times where you have to remove people from your life mm. in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only a very small part of what we're talking about. But here this is like – and I even said like, you know, and you even said like on the very, very rare occasion is that sometimes you have to just cut people out of your life altogether. This is – his Paul's pretty strong here saying that this just needs to – not this needs to go. Like you – that – this is not helping the church. This is not helping the church anyway. You need to get for not just for the church's sake, but for their sake. Yep. You just need to remove them from the church yep. completely. Um, which is such a crazy, crazy thing to it think of. It seems quite foreign to yeah. our we you know, we're not in the business of kicking people out of churches. And yeah. I don't think Paul was advocating for it as a general rule or principle either. He was obviously <coughs> excuse me, he was obviously concerned enough about this that it was a significant enough uh, effect on the church that he it needed some drastic measures. He's not advocating for go kicking people out every left, right, and center. Yeah. Um, but as we unpack this, is because it's a what weight moment. Because yeah. you get people who go, well, you know, you should be, you shouldn't let anyone get away with anything. You should just, yeah, come down hard on them. And if they, if you know, if they say no, then just send them packing. Mm. And then you get others who go, well, what, what? How much do we let people get away with? You know, yeah. do we let people get away with too much in church yeah. life? So we we do need to wrestle this through and. To, to do that, you need to go beyond the just the, the reading of it and try and put it in its context and ask what's going on and why is Paul saying that and yeah. and different scholars will have different views on that. I've come to come to some views as to how I would lead the church, but I'll be honest. I mean, it's only a couple of times I've ever actually had to ask anyone to leave the church. It's very very rare, yeah, um, incredibly rare, and even then I hated doing it. Yeah, um, but there are times where in extreme situations where that might be necessary. Yeah. And that's like it's hard enough, I think, even not even asking someone to leave your church, but someone to potentially like even say step out of a position that they're holding. Yeah, whether it's even like then, leadership or yep. even if it's not necessarily a leadership position, they're just doing a volunteer title yep. of something, and you have to ask them to step out of that. Let alone someone to leave the church altogether. Yeah, totally, it's, it's yeah, that's hard enough. So, yep. and I think verse six obviously gets to the crux of why that this needed to happen. Um, is that like your boasting about this is terrible, like. They were boasting about this situation, which for us seems so strange. And obviously why Paul was just sort of like, what's going on? What's going on? Why do you think 
this going on is a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he continues here. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole um, batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then, uh, then you'll uh, will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, uh, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with old bread of wickedness and evil, but with new bread of sincerity and truth. So I think that's the thing is that it's not saying that this isn't a uh, prescription about what we should be doing with everyone. It's it's starting off with this is why it needs to happen because the fact is that it infected the church so much that yes. they were boasting about this situation. They thought it was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then the scholars go, well, why would they think it was a good thing? What's the reason they thought it was a good thing? And I think that the consensus is somehow they have a twisted belief that this whole idea of, well, you know, there's grace in the church for, yeah. for you know, the church should be a place of grace where, where we tolerate sinful behavior. And there's an element of truth in the fact that we, we shouldn't be judgmental and harsh, but they had taken it to the extreme where they were uh, allowing someone who clearly had some measure of influence. Uh, This was not a person on the fringes, I don't think. I think this is someone who's got some influence to the point where the whole church is on board with this thing and is going and somehow being convinced that this is a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah. It's like, because again, like, it's it started off with this is something even the pagans so even culturally, this was something that was something that you didn't do. Yeah, and let me tell you, there was a cultural pagan uh, sexuality was pretty liberal. Yeah. So this, you know, they were much more liberal than than Jewish Christian had been. So this yeah. had gone beyond that. Yeah. So this is yeah that it's that step above where, and that and that's where like this isn't a prescriptive way that we should deal with yeah. everyone that we feel as though that it's done this great sin against the church or against people. No, and even even if you look at the title, I mean, <coughs> I know how you love titles, yeah, yeah. but it, but it seems like the, solely the scholars who have put together NLT seem to think yeah. it's saying the, the thing Paul is most addressing is the spiritual pride. It's their yeah. attitude towards this thing. The NL, the new, looking at the New King James is focusing on Paul defending, uh, defi- you know, um, Paul uh, – it say immorality defiles the church as yeah, what Yeah, that's it what says. it says in NRSV as well. And the NIV says dealing with a case of incest. They're all different versions of the same thing. Yep. It's interesting the NLT have picked up on the pride aspect. Yep. And I think that that's often overlooked is that Paul's rebuking the church for their attitude, trying to instruct them, how do you deal with sinfulness? Yep. And um, I think it's it's not a one-size-fits-all, but I think it should be interesting to ask ourselves, what's really going on here and why would Paul have this attitude? And he's, he gives, gives the answer in verse 6. He says, the problem is a little bit of yeast. Yeah. A little bit gets in and it gets it works its way through the dough and it starts, you know, what what's what runs in the children, what walks in the father's runs in the children kind yeah. of attitude. You can let that get away. What I want to point out here that I often see in Christian churches, they read this passage and they teach this passage against, they, they rail against sinful behavior. Yeah. What we often miss, and I'm not just talking about the church, they rail about sinful behavior in the world. The problem is Paul, we don't get the impression Paul was expecting that 
this letter was ever going to be written beyond the church. It was, yeah. it was going to be read beyond the church. He was writing to the church. Mm. So when we rail against it and we put stuff on social media and we make a stake a claim and we put it out for the whole world, well, Paul wasn't writing this to the whole world. He wasn't putting no. this to the Romans. He was putting this to the church about the way they conduct themselves. Yeah. So we don't do ourselves a service as Christian church when we rail against the world's values mm. um, as though it's it, – as though it's wicked. Now we don't agree with certain world's values on sexuality and certain things, yeah. but we don't do ourselves a service when we rail against it. That's not the intention. In fact, the cl- the clincher is in verse twelve, and I'm going to skip ahead, yeah. but you might have done it anyway. He says, "It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, yeah. but it's my responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning." Yeah. So Paul's saying, within the context of the church, there needs to be some level of morality and at least a willingness to repent and move forward. But what people do who haven't signed up to live by Jesus, it's not my job. Unfortunately, I've seen Christians make it their job. That's the problem. It's not our job to judge those. Uh, Andy Stanley put it years ago. I remember when he preached on this, he said, um, our job is to judge the believer, not the heathen. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, yeah, that's right. Judge the believer, not the heathen. I've never forgotten that. Yeah, I think we can learn a lot from that. And again, like the, if you read the intro to, 1 Corinthians as a whole is it's Peter writing a letter to the church in Corinth. Paul. Oh, Paul, sorry. Yes, yeah. yeah, Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth. So it's literally, this is a letter for Corinth. So if you're trying to read this and apply it to your context, which you can do, there's nothing wrong with doing yeah. that, but then you've got to read it in the context in which the letter was written to. Sure. And so like you, you can't just apply it to your context without knowing what the context that it was written to. Yeah, what was going on in that church. Yeah. So let me give you a practical example of how I would apply this. Um, if if there is some kind of, um, you know, s- sinful behavior, it, it, it might be a sexual immorality issue. It could just be a, a willful, self-focused, self-promotion issue among a person or a leader in the church. What I will do is I will go, well, what is the church? What is the definition of the church? My job's not to judge those outside the church. My job's to judge those inside the church. So now I need to go, okay, what is the, ch- what is my ch- what is the church I'm a part of look like compared to the Corinthian church. Now, the Corinthian church was a very core group of believers, it, uh, as it, uh, most of the early church was. Um, it wasn't like open on Sundays for all to come. It wasn't that kind of format, right? So what I'm well, all that to say that there are people in my church congregation who will come on a Sundays, they're on the fringes of the church. And while they're attending, I, I shouldn't automatically think that my job is to judge them. I've got to give them space because are they part of what Paul would quote the church, unquote? Yeah. Perhaps not. Yeah. But if it's a if it's a person in a position of leader or influence or res- has gained and garnished a respect within the church, then now I'm starting to think, okay, there comes a point at which conversations need to be had because now um, a level of immorality of any kind is unhealthy for other people. Yeah. But to then just rail at everybody – who's on the fringes of a church, it's actually going to have the opposite effect to what Paul wants here. Paul wants a pure church, but you're going to end up with an impure church that's self-righteous, that is looked down upon. People will will shoot through and go, they they were just a judgmental, harsh group of people. So I think we need to demonstrate grace. I mean, we just talked about the last chapter. The Lord overlooks all our sins. So there has to be some sense of which what's going on here. We're not going to, we're not singling out every sinful behavior as people develop more in their faith, 
and are discipled and they're in a discipleship relationship where they're willing to come into that discipleship relationship, mm. I would say that's the church. Yep. They're the ones that now they've signed up to live by God's values. They're open to discipleship. They're the ones that I think I'd be more willing to have that conversation with and go, you know what, that behavior is not appropriate. Yep. You're not doing yourself any good. You're not doing others any good because now I've built enough of a relationship with them that I can call them on that behavior for their own good and for the benefit of others. Yeah. And it, it's I've been involved with a couple of different churches where whether it's been the church that I'm actually serving in, say here at Camden, or it's been a church that I've done ministry uh, programs with, is they have like a set of expectations for leaders uh, that you sort of adhere to. So whether it's something that you physically sign off or they go, this is the expectations. If you are not meeting those expectations, we'll let you know yes. and then potentially ask you to not be a part of it yep. anymore. Uh, and I think that's very important is that we have as a as Christians, we should have expectations of our leaders. And that's where we talked about earlier. Like there are expectations on our leaders that they have to and they will go through hard times, they will go through everything else, but they're expected to then hold themselves in a certain stead and really be that reflection of what it, the church should look yes, like. Yes, absolutely. But there are gonna be people as again, like if we're gonna open ourselves up to the world to bring people in, as you were saying, is that we can't be holding them at the same standard as we hold our leaders. Correct. That's and, the point. And this Jimmy. is what it is here. It's we're holding this is very much, as you said, like it very much reads like it's someone who had power and influence over that group of people. Yep. Whether they were the leader or a leader of the church. Yep. Or maybe they were community leader who were who someone someone was with a part some influence. Of it. Yes. So but they were someone who had influence over that over that church so that then they were had to be held to a higher standard. Yep. That's right. And the fact is that this is where and we see this now is that sometimes is that if someone who is in leadership is not doing the right thing, they might not necessarily be removed from the church altogether, but be removed from leadership because yeah, it could be removed from leadership. Yeah. Well, he'll go on and say, look, you, you know, he yeah. says, uh, when I wrote to you before verse nine, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, Yeah, but I wasn't talking, talking about, about unbelievers, unbelievers who yeah. indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You'd have to completely remove yourself to avoid people like that from the yeah. world. I meant not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer or claims to be a fellow brother, someone who claims the title of Christian who's influential in the church, yeah. yet they continue to indulge in sin or is greedy or worship idols or abusive or drunkard or cheats people. Don't eat with such people. Yeah. He's he's calling Christians to a higher standard. Yeah. And, you know, you could say, well, yeah, everyone who comes in the church calls himself a Christian. Yes, but personally I've come to see that yeah. I'm talking about people who claim a person who claims to be a brother is someone who is saying, I'm really part of this family. I'm a person of influence in this family. Yeah. Uh, not a, not a person who's on the fringes. I want to yeah. call people who are calling themselves brothers to this standard yeah. um, of life. Yeah. Like, and that's, there's almost like you could say there's degrees of being calling yourself a Christian because as you get more and more involved, you understand more and more Correct. what it is to be a Christian. Yeah. And that, like, say, so if you've you could be part of the church for two or three years, but you've just been on the edges. That's right. Someone like you still don't understand, but you'll still call yourself Christian. Yeah, and I'm, go I'm not going to with a person like that. Yeah. I'm going to keep telling them the good news about Jesus. Yes, there'll there'll come a point at which you need to address things, but yeah. but addressing sinful attitudes is not sinful actions is not always the first way. No. If if people need people people need to get a revelation of the goodness of God first of all, the yeah. grace of God. Then we can get a revelation of okay, I need to. I, I'm aware of how big God is, how good God is. Yeah. Now, out of that, I can now um, move to a place of repentance. Yeah. Which, by the sound of it, the Corinthian church had that, 
but it just gone too far and too it got far. twisted yep. by people in it leadership. It was twisted doctrine. Yeah. And so that's where that's why this situation had happened this way. Yeah. You got anything else in First Corinthians 5? No, that's it. All right. We'll go to number six now. Yep. One Corinthians chapter six. Uh, so this is um, sort of two, like split into two halves. Really, um, we've got the first half, which talks about like they still obviously relate very much. So, but first one avoiding talks about a little about lawsuits. Yeah, don't, which don't, is, don't go <laughs> lawsuits. We don't sue each other. That yeah, kind of thing. don't sue each other. And then the second part. Uh, so it depends on which it's about. Talks a lot about sexual sin. Um, so avoiding sexual sin, all of the titles, you know, they'll focus on something different where, uh, it's interesting. So the previous one, the NLT was looking, wasn't looking necessarily at the, at the sexual sin. Um, but the other chapters were focusing in terms of the title, but where it's flipped. So the NRSV is talking about glorifying God in body and spirit. Yep. But where NLT is talking about avoiding sexual sin. Yes, now talking now it's the other way around. It's the other way around. Okay, interesting. So I just thought it was interesting. But it's we're pretty much going to look we'll similar just, train of thought. Yeah, um, yeah. So that first chunk, uh, so verses one through eleven, it's just pretty much just talking about don't sue each other. Like it's saying that you shouldn't be taking like sort of like in taking internal matters that are happening within people inside the church and then going outside the church to get a ruling on what should actually happen because of like because of that situation you're in uh, is to try and uh, like rather appeal to the authorities, like, you know, keep it inside the church rather than appealing to authorities outside the church. Um, and then the second section is pretty much just that, talking about uh, sexual sin, um, the like it's talking about the way that, like just the the way they're conducting themselves um, as a as a church, the Corinthians here, um, and again, it's like this disordered understanding of what grace and the freedom of God, of Christ That's, brings. It's the same principle of that we can yeah. basically we can live how we want because the grace of God covers it. Yeah, that so was where, the problem that was the deception they seem to have bought into somewhere. Yeah. and so then so this is like an outworking of what happened in that previous chapter. So that yeast, like removing that yeast, like removing that one person who potentially was the, you know, they might've started this because they wanted to have that relationship with their stepmother. Exactly. To where now it's like, well, going and sleeping with prostitutes apparently is okay. Yes, it's right. It's, it's gone beyond that yeah. now. Yes, yeah. that's right. Which at the time that was still, that was accepted as part of pagan culture. That was a normal like, part so, of, um, of pagan Roman culture. So Roman it, culture. It, it was like, so this was just something that, so they're not saying here, remove them from the church because by the sound it was probably a few of them, but it was more so the, like that this person had gone too far. They're the one that started this. They're like, they're the main reason why this has all sort of gone wrong. Mm -hmm. Get rid of them. But this now, this is why you don't do it. Sure. Sort of thing. Yep. Like it's a bit more of a, this is a bit more of a teaching moment for them rather than a, you know, you just need to get rid of that person. I'll be there in spirit sure. sort of thing. Yep. Okay, so we'll go and have a look at uh, the first section, so verses 1 through 11. And pretty much all what I said <laughs> was just that with this whole um, verses here. I think well, there's a bit of a wait what moment there. Yeah. People ask this question because Paul seems to be saying, okay, there's, let's assume there's, mm. there's, it's, that you, you and I are in the church. 
we have a dispute. Maybe we've had some kind of business arrangement. Yeah. And I feel like you've you've violated that business arrangement. Yeah. Um, now, in ordinary world, they would say, okay, we're well, not getting anywhere. The courts are there. Yep. Um, that's what they're there for to um, use those things mm. to um, I could sue you because there was a contract between us and it yep. wasn't arranged. So on one hand, you kind of think, well, that's what the law is there to do. If yep. you violated a contract, I can, you know, I can go to court yep. and do that. So that's why it's a bit of a wait what moment because Paul would seem to be saying, don't do that. Yeah. You know, don't do that um, because it'd be better just to be wronged. It'd be better yep. for me just to go, well, suck it up. He's a brother. Should have yep. known better, but okay, no, no problems there. Move on. Yeah. And that does sound, to me, that sounds harsh. Yeah. To me, that sounds like, well, that's not really fair. I, I'm, I've been maltreated. There, there are laws in our land that enable us to do that. And I think, um, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, someone was, went through some kind of abusive behavior in the church. Well, that's okay. You, you know, you just forgive them and move on. And I don't for a moment think that's what Paul is no. talking about here. The, the problem was these people seem to be getting into some kind of very public bung fight yeah. disagreement outside the church, which was then shaming uh, the church, the church's reputation. Yeah. Because people would be looking at that and going, you know, well, I'm watching, think like, you know, you maybe watching one of those television shows, very public law, because yeah. a lot of the law stuff was happening in the it's city. Very Judge Judy-like. It was like Judge Judy, yeah. yeah. So it was like sitting in the city, in the um, city forum was where the courts would be right there, right yeah. in Republic. And I can imagine two Christians coming and railing at each other in front of the courts yeah. and, and all that. And it, it's not spreading a good reputation around yeah. it. So there wasn't the same level of decorum around law as there is now. Yeah. I would say that in that way, I think how this could apply to us is that if I've got a problem with you, Jimmy, I shouldn't be out there posting on social media about how I'm taking you to court and yeah. how, you know, what a wicked man you are and all that kind of stuff, because there I am now doing um, a disservice to the, the Lord. So I, yeah. I read it like, okay, my job, I'm not, it's not saying I shouldn't use the legal systems at all if they're yeah. there, but what is my motive for using legal systems? And can I remain aware that the act of using a legal system runs the risk of actually um, bringing the church and the message of Christ into disrepute. And I should yeah. run from that. Yeah. I should not want to let my greediness or mm. my selfishness or my sense of I want my justice yep. to bring the church in disrepute in the eyes of believers. They should be able to look at the church and go, wow, that person was willing to give up their rights. That person was yep. was willing to, to, to do something so they weren't just standing up for their rights. Yep. So if I'm calling – if I'm, if I'm going to take you to court because, you know, maybe it was a business deal um, and you have done the wrong thing, well, I'm not taking you to court just to get my rights. I'm taking you – I might take you to court, but it's because I don't want – I'm picking on you, but mm. I don't want yeah. you, your behavior, your yeah. actions to hurt other people. Yeah. And therefore, I've got – I should do – I actually would do the right thing to take you to court to so that you are called to account for your actions. Yeah but not for some sense of vindictive um, vengeance that yeah. I have. Yeah. It's yes. We've got to make sure that and like everything, I think that's the hard, the thing that we need to be very aware of when we're reading scripture in general, reading the Bible in general, is that you can very much read through and just take a very simplistic overview of what is actually going on. Yep. Um, which is pretty much where if you do that, you will, um, apply this wrongly. Yes. Because you will do that pretty much it'll be that 
you should never, you know, take anyone to court. You should never like everything you should be able to deal with in house. If you can't with deal with in house, too bad, just move yeah. on. Which is not what it's meant. And, as you said, which is not what we're meant what, to not meant to do. And the judicial systems weren't set up in such a way in this yeah. time that they were necessary. They were doing taking bribes and all kinds yeah. of stuff. It was an unfair judicial system yeah. to the point where you would Paul saying, I would hope that there'd be enough of a fair justice system within the church that the mm. that the, the, the elders could get together and discuss this enough to come up with some yeah. necessary outcomes. He's not saying just roll over. Yeah. It's just bring it before the leadership and the eldership of the church. We fortunately in our country live in a system that where our judicial system, though far from perfect, has been based on 2,000 years of Judeo-Christian yeah. history where we do have a degree of justice. Yeah. Where, where, you know, things like taking bribes, uh, are not acceptable anymore. No. So, you know, people people um, you know, should feel more comfortable about using the justice system. Yeah. That's not the issue that he's talking no. about here. And, like, the, the reason that you're using the judicial system is, again, it's not, yeah, it's not to be vindictive against someone. You're doing it because it's the only way for justice to be found. Correct. Whether it's a, uh, Whether it's business, whether it's personal or everything in between. It's if justice cannot be found between two individuals or with people around them supporting them, then this is where the judicial system is there for in our in our country. It, like in Australia, I'm like I would say the same thing probably would be very much similar in America as well. Like any Western country, yes. very much so that that's how the judicial systems are set up because generally a lot of the Western culture is based off the Judeo. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so there's there's at least some sense of. Um, yep. moral, yep. Eth ethic yep. within the judicial system. Yeah. So if you ever like, and I, like I just want to say, cause I've had people like, I know of people that have been discouraged about going to um, police and things like that for things that have happened, whether it's uh, like, you know, people have been inside relationships before and things have happened and they've said they've discouraged them from going, which, you know, I shudder to think now, like, you know, yeah. what, like the, the, to even know that that's, that has happened, but just that, yeah, not to think that you shouldn't be no, going to. Like I, I agree. I think if we can take this scripture and not and put it in its context, yeah. this has been misappropriated. Yeah, definitely. And it actually becomes, it actually enhances the abuse and control. Yeah. If, a, if a church leader says no, to keep it within house, that has actually led to some of the scandals we've seen in the United States in the SBC and yeah. things where there's been all kinds of abuse happen within the church and the yeah. church has covered that over yeah. that is not what we're advocating no. for here no. we are advocating for um for true justice god is a god of justice here yep. but it's must come i think for us individually as if we if you're an experience if you've experienced some form of injustice yep. the driving force for the christian should not be only just personal vindication and personal vengeance yep because that will not ultimately be healthy. It's why David, you know, the whole thing we've talked about in previous episodes with yeah. David and Saul and all that kind of stuff in mm. the recent months, that's why David was able to say, no, I'm going to hand vengeance over to the Lord. Yep. I'm not going to take it into my own hands. Yep. Now we have a judicial system, which is open to that. So that's what I would say. Just avoid um, avoid bringing the, bringing the church into disrespect disrepute in the public forum. Yep. This honestly would apply more to, um, you know, slandering other people in the public forum yep. on social media. I think, you know, yep. regardless of whether it's a lawsuit, that principle applies. Yeah. If we go around slandering each other, that just makes the world look at the church and go, why would I want that? Yep. I might move to... Part two? We, yeah, to part two. Go um, for it. 
so we're looking at where it says avoiding sexual sin. So it's verse from verse 12. Ones. So it says, starts off, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Even though I'm allowed to do everything, I must not become a slave to anything. And I think that is such, that's something all the time where whenever freedom is mentioned in anything, this is the first thing I think of. And I think of an analogy that I was um, given in a class at um, a theological college where the whole idea of like people love to see, you know, um, horses running in the wild and all that sort of stuff and like the, the wild stallions and things like that and go, oh, you know, I long for that freedom. Yes. But there are so many dangers that they have to face day in, day out that, yeah, okay, like there's this true freedom where you can see them running through a paddock and Freedom's like, oh, not that all looks cracked so up to great. Be. But then like that all the things they have to face yep. outside of that, you know, 30 seconds that you see them running through this field that they have to face um, where true freedom, say, for them, can be like, and for any of it, like is found inside, you know, fenced off areas. Cause they have, they know that inside that area, like, you know, obviously you want it to be larger than just a small area, but like if they've got a large fenced off area. Yeah, it makes it safe. It makes it safe for them. Yes. Free, is that, yeah. And there's someone looking boundaries over them. Boundaries bring safety. Boundaries, boundaries bring safety. And I yep. think that's the thing that I always think of, like when I, whenever someone says something about freedom, uh, particularly in a Christian context, like I get my back up a little bit because I think that people use that again mm -hmm. as an excuse, um, which is I think sort of what they're getting at here yep. is that I can sort of do anything. Uh, it's like well, nothing no. really matters anyway. And Paul's going, no, that's not that's not no, true not freedom. True freedom actually does have restraint around it. Yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, then it's at first setting, like it says, you say food was made made for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and I actually. Before we go on, I found something interesting about that one is that that was a euphemism that was used around the time. Right. So in regards to a person's sexual appetite. Okay. So like right. not so necessarily in the church, or in the in the ancient world at that time. Okay. So this is where it's – so that's why – So they weren't speaking to food. They were actually using it as a sexual appetite. Because that was – that, so that I was saying, do what I want. Yeah. It's saying that, well, it's – that's the – that the saying was is that like, well – our body is made for, for sex. sexual needs, yep, yep. so then so I'm going to feed I'd it. Fulfill those sexual yeah. needs, which would have been a very common yep. Greco-Roman um, influence, no doubt yep. about that. Yep. Um, but then it says, um, but you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. Uh, they were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. So, and this again goes against Greco-Roman ideals that the body, when we passed away, is mm. that our bodies and our spirits would be separated. Yep. Where in Christian thought yep. is that know that our our bodies would get resurrected. That's right. And so and that's our, our bodies that. are part of the good creation. Yeah. We've talked about this on some previous episodes, Gnosticism, mm. a belief that was prevailing in the church at that time, even in the early church before the close of the Bible was this belief that the body is evil, mm. the spirit is good, yep. and it led to different views. One was, well, I can do whatever I want with my body because it doesn't count. Yeah. It led also to the fact that my body is evil, so I have to beat my body yeah. and some kind of ascetic lifestyle. Um, and it all came from this belief of the separation of body and mm. and, and spirit, whereas yep. Paul would say that's not how it works. The body's good. You should honour the Lord with your body. Yep. Yeah, don't just – it's not just made for sex. No. It's made for God is what yeah. he's saying. Yep. Um, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Verse 15, don't you realise that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Mm. Uh, should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it with a prostitute? Never. 
And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. And that's like that scriptures that we've read before from is, Genesis. is that, you know, the two will become one type yep. thing. Um, for scriptures say two, <laughs> two are united into one. Um, but the person who is joined to the Lord in um, is one with um, is one spirit with him. Uh, run from sexual sin. No other sin is cl- uh, so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you at a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Mm. So what really counts is that we, in this this sort of, a lot of overlap in parts of first Corinthians with Romans. And one of those is Romans 12, you know, therefore present your bodies as living sacrifices. I think it's the same train of thought Paul's got here, how we conduct ourselves with our physical bodies actually matters. Yep. Yeah, definitely. All right. All right. And now we're going to go to chapter 10. 10. Let's keep ahead a couple of chapters. Yeah. One Corinthians chapter ten. Now this one's a little bit of a jump forward in that Corinthian um, book here, but uh, we've pretty much read almost the whole of Corinthians now. Yes, by this point. By this point, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so the first section, just in a bit of a summary, the first section, so the first, um, so one to thirteen, is talking about. Um, oh, I've done it again. I keep touching it and it keeps rolling forward. There we go. <laughs> um, that. Uh, so talking about the history of Israel yeah. and the warnings that come out of that. So like that's yeah. their the, own bad behavior, bad behavior and, yeah. and how it have, uh, it's a warning for us. And it's like, and pretty much like it's a lot about the dangers of idolatry uh, yep. is probably the, one of the main references in there, yep. um, whatever that is. Uh, and then the second part, uh, so from 14, from, oh, sorry, the middle part, sorry, 14 to 22, um, he applies those examples that he talks about um, from Israel's past to, uh, to what is happening in the Corinthian church. Um, okay. And then addresses the idolatry practices that they have during the Lord's Supper in, in one particular case. Yes, so, that's right. Um, which is a bit of a uh, interesting one that you think would never happen, but hey, that's what's happening there. And then I can't find my last little bit of summary. I must have deleted it. The last section. So, oh, so the, well, the title is Do All to the glory of God. Yes. Um, it's talking about, he's going to finish up, isn't it? Yeah. He talks about eat, eating meat sacrificed to idols and lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then saying, yeah, like it's how then, uh, again, like this is that, well, it's not necessarily what it does to you, but it's also how it looks to others and how it impacts others yes. as well. Yeah. Um, and that's, so that's pretty much, and then it pretty much blends straight into chapter 11 as well. Um, which we're not doing today. Which we're not doing today, which we've already I think probably already looked at First Corinthians eleven. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, so right. yeah, let's uh, jump up to the top. Oh, I've got notes from verse twelve and below, but in that first section, it's talking about just things that have come out of um, Israel's history, and then warning them not to pretty much fall into those same traps. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, thing like he talks about, uh, like he says in verse six, now these things occurred as examples for us so that we might not uh, desire to do evil as they did. And I think that's the the crux of it. Like when we look back is that they always talk about 
whenever they always look back at the things that they did wrong. Like that's why I look at the, through the whole Old Testament, the you know look at the story, even just the story of David, which has been one of the big chunks that we looked at. We look at David and what he's done. They don't hide the bad parts. No, of because David, we learn from that. Because we learn from that, and that's why that they're there. That they're there as, as examples. And that, and again, now that's why when the New Testament was put together, they did that with the same heart uh, as what they when they put the Correct. Old Testament t- together. Is so that, that we might learn. So from we them. might learn yep. from what they did from when they were learning from what um, from what they're. There's um, nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes no. says. Yeah. Uh, I heard someone say many years ago. Don't know where I heard it. it. Says those who will not learn from history are destined to repeat it. Yeah. And I think that's the principle, isn't it? Yeah. Which is what he's saying there in verse six. Yeah. They're written as examples and warnings for us. Yeah. yeah we can learn from past yeah. if we will take time to study history of any kind, whether it's recent history or ancient history, we can learn. Yeah. And hopefully launch from the shoulders of those people rather than have to repeat the mistakes of those people. Yeah. Yeah. So then it talks about do not become idolaters of the same things they did. Like they sat down uh, to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Uh, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as they did. Um, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did um, and were destroyed by serpents. We must not, must not complain as they did. So it's just going through all of these things that it's pretty much saying that we've we've seen all the stories of what's happened before. We know what we should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah, we know the results of poor what decisions. Yeah. That's right. And so that we need to be then, therefore, like, therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. <laughs> I speak as uh, to be sensible, uh, speak as to be sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing uh, that will bless is not to be shared in the blood of, um, is is it not to? When we bless the cup of the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? Is that where you're going? Yes, because I'm reading the NRSV. And then when, I'm in when we break the yep. bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? Yeah. Mm. And so that's the that thing of, okay, well, make sure, yeah, we've seen what's happened before us. So, so coming forward now, in its so, context, you've yep. got this new meal, this communion meal that the church is going to share or is sharing yep. that focuses on the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Yep. And it becomes central to the body, the worship of the Christian church. Meals weren't um, exclusive to Christians. Yep. All pagan religions had meals as part meals of their worship practice. Sort of the problem was in those pagan worship practices, the ritual meal was also accompanied by the worship of idols, mm. and the worship of idols was almost exclusively accompanied by sexual immorality. Yep. Um, greed, indulgence, drunkenness, everything, all that kind of um, licentious behavior that ultimately devalued humans, devalued other humans, devalued ourselves as the image of God because people gave into their base instincts, you yeah. know, and that was what Paul is addressing and saying, you can't live that way in the Christian church. A Christian does not give into their base instinct. It's actually the, the world's narrative is, oh, if it feels good, do it, whatever yeah. it is, because you're holding yourself back. But the God's native, God's narrative is, Actually, when you give in to your base instincts, you become an animal. Yeah. You actually become worse than what you're supposed to be. You're called to something more than that. Mm. You're called to be fruitful. You're called to um, – you actually become a true human when you don't give in to your base instincts. Mm. You bring them – like you said, into that paddock. You bring your behaviors within the constraints of what God says are good for us. Yeah. And when we do, we experience true freedom. Yeah. And we'll experience a, a greater level of pleasure and a greater level of freedom, whether it's sexuality or 
eating, drinking, any mm. kind of behavior, when it's done within the context of uh, the boundaries that God sets in place, that's true life. Yeah. But when humans go, no, no, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ignore, I'm going to ignore God's boundaries. Mm. I, I, God said, don't eat from that tree, but oh, it looks good to me. I'm going to take it. Yeah. Paul, Paul would say, you're actually doing yourself and others a disservice when you do that. And that's yeah. why he's saying, which tree are you going to eat from, basically, he's saying. Yeah. yeah. And that's the um, – I've just lost a thought. There we go. One each podcast. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, so one of the things I had highlighted, which I've had highlighted forever, is, is that verse 13, which we sort of like the temptations in your life are no different um, uh, from what others experience. Yep. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And so that's one that's, again, like that was the one that I was referencing earlier. Correct. When we said, God, yeah. what's often taken out of context there yeah. is people says, oh, you know, God won't let you, um, it specifically says temptation. Yeah. It's not saying there's not going to be some hard things. Yeah. That's the problem is it's often misinterpreted yeah. to go, oh, no, life's going to be easy. You know, if you're experiencing hard things, you're outside the will of God. No, no. he's not saying that. Yeah. And like, but he's saying, he's not saying that he's going to take them away from you. No. He's saying that he, like it's that will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Yeah. But the thing is that like, again, like we very much minimize what it is that we can actually stand. That's right. Um, we, we can stand in the face of incredible temptation. That's yeah. what he's saying. I mean, in, in Corinth, I've said this in previous podcasts, the level of sexual immorality in Corinth was very high. Corinth's just down the road from Athens. Athens was where the high mm. society lived, the philosophers and the theorists. Corinth was a port town. Yep. Corinth was working class town. Corinth was, there's brothels on every corner. Mm. Uh, I remember my Bible college lecturer saying that, you know, uh, sexual act- actions on park benches in Corinth was a normal behavior. Mm. I mean, this is, a, this is not an environment where um, depravity is hidden behind some wall. This is yep. for all to see. So this pretty substantial temptation to enter into that, that buy into that life of give in to your base desires, give in to everything, yep. whether it's greed, gut, gluttony, sexuality or whatever. And Paul's saying, God's going to give you the ability to represent him well yep. and stand up in that and actually continue to find true freedom despite the temptation around you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything good for you. So this is verse 23. You say, I'm not, um, I am allowed to do anything. Not everything is beneficial. Um, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Uh, so good. Um, so you, uh, so you may like, this is when it jumps down talking about eating of yeah, so sacrificial he, meats. In this latter part, yeah. part of 12, he's picking up on it. He's done, we haven't done it today, but it was Corinthians eight and Romans 14. Mm. He digs into this whole concept of meat sacrifice for idols yeah. in depth. Now he's, He's riffing off the back of what he's taught in First Corinthians eight. Yeah, and so yeah, so you say that, that um, any meat that's sold in the marketplace without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Um, if someone who isn't a believer asks you for home for dinner, accept their invitation if you want to eat whatever is offered to you without raising uh, questions of conscience. Um, but, but suppose if someone tells you this meat was offered to an idol, don't eat it out of consideration for the conscience of the one who told you. It might not be a matter of conscious for you, but it is for the other person. For why should my freedom be limited by what someone else thinks? If I can thank God for the food and enjoy it, why should I be condemned from eating it? Like it's, and it keeps riffing back on top of each other there, but like that first part where it says, um, I'm allowed to do anything um, 
that is uh, like, but not everything is good and not everything is beneficial. Um, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. And I think that's the thing that we forget about when we talk about freedoms and forgetting about, you know, even like this grace that, that they were so heavily in that you can sort of do whatever you want. And it's Poppy okay. Grace, yeah. Is that, okay, you might have, think that, okay, well, I have freedom to do whatever I want, but do you not realize that if you do whatever you want, you're bound to impinge on other people's freedoms to do whatever they want also. Correct. Or so you can encourage, can or people can look at you and go, oh, okay, he can drink or he can do this or he yep. can he can go there or touch this or, yep. you know, do that thing and it doesn't affect him so it's okay for me. Yeah. But that person, that weaker brother, we'll call it in First Corinthians yeah. 8, I think, you know, the weaker brother or sister, yeah. we've actually, he says you're actually harming them for whom Christ died. Yeah. So I would, I, Paul would say that there are certain freedoms I have you know, I think of this and go, okay, there are yep. certain things that I'm free to do, yep. but I need to be thinking about other people and how would the exercise of those freedoms potentially not cause freedom for other people, yep. but actually cause hindrance to yep. other people. Yeah, the, and a mature so, Christian will give up some of those freedoms or mm. not leave them publicly yep. or not speak about them publicly mm. just because you could actually cause a weaker person to think it's okay for them, it's okay for me, but it's not okay for them because yep. it's it's an area of weakness yeah. in them. Like the stum- is it stumbling blocks and stepping stones like analogy, like where you, know, yep. you, you don't want to chuck things, you want to chuck things out that help them move yep. along, not, not things, things that get that in the way of their the growth. Yep. Yeah, like so, like an example you know, it could be, you know, people that have issues with alcohol. Like it's some people as a Christian, they choose to not drink alcohol, yep. whether it's because they've drunk alcohol before, realize that it's not very good for them, so they choose not to drink it anymore, or because they strongly believe that you shouldn't drink alcohol, which is fine if you if that's how you read and interpret the scripture and that's and you want to hold to that, that is more than fine. So but then just because you don't see it that way and you go over to the house and you bring a bottle of bottle wine. Line, yes. Like it's it, you got to think about okay, well Okay, well, it's not a bad thing for me. It's a thing for them. That's, That's not right. how you should be thinking That's about it. That's not how you do it. No. That's it's like exactly if you invite people around your house and you know that, you know, they have issues with alcohol, you just, you don't, you, you know. Don't leave your wine out on the wine. Don't, yeah, don't yeah, leave exactly. a glass of wine sitting there on the table. Yeah. Like, you know, you can still it's about, leave it where it is. It's about but it's loving about, yeah. other people. Yeah. That's what Paul's saying here. It's about sharing love with, thinking about others through positive action and withdrawing some of your freedoms for the benefit of other people. And I think that motive alone could do a lot yeah. to help Christians to, rather than flaunt our freedoms, go, well, I'm going to, if, if push comes to shove and one of us has, I've got my freedom, another person's got their perspective, if they come head to head, yeah. a mature Christian says, well, I'm not going to fight you for my freedoms. I'm going to give up my freedoms yeah. to enable you to experience your freedom. Yep. That's that's the loving thing to do. And I don't see a lot of that, <laughs> to be honest. No, no. I see a lot of us fighting for our freedoms. Jesus says, give up your freedom. Paul says here, give up your freedoms. Mm. Not give them up altogether, no. but give them up in the context of what, in a way, don't don't exercise them in a way that would cause a weaker person to stumble. Yeah. I think with, uh, like too often is that freedom is like the fact that we should have freedom in Christ and that we have freedoms now is that to place restriction is not Christian. Yes. yes. That's how a lot of people that's, see it. That's how the world, and the world's view is yeah. that way too. Yeah. The world's view has gone to the point of, you know, restrictions are all bad. Yeah. I think what will happen, I'm not too worried to be honest. I think yeah. what will happen in time is that the world will start to wake up to and realize that actually the, the absence of all restriction is actually not good. No. 
but I think there's been a time in the church where probably we have focused too much on the restriction and not enough on the freedom. Yeah. And that, and to some degree, that ethic, mm. that super restrictive ethic is probably what much of the world is pushing back on. Yeah. You can't tell me what to do because you've been, te- you've been telling me your whole life what, what and, you can and do. And it's been the same. And Paul says in First Corinthians, we read it, it's not yeah. my job to judge those outside the church. So yeah. I think there's a bit of pushback, but I think mm. if we can all come to that point of recognizing that God's plan does include freedom. Yeah. And that in the end, if I, it does include freedom, but it also includes, includes restrictions, yep. work out what those restrictions are for me. Like Paul says, okay, well, I, I know I can do this and I can do that, but I can't do this and I can't do that. Yep. Everybody's restrictions, it's the gray zone, are different. Yep. Find out what's in your gray zone. Yep. Live there. Don't enforce it upon other people. But live from that perspective, thinking about other people. And even those in the world that may be pushing the boundaries of freedom – thinking oh, I can sleep with whoever I want or I can take whatever substance I want in time they're going to it's not going to take them very long to realize that that's not a constructive way to live it's actually a destructive way to live yeah. i think it's best if we christians are in people's worlds enough that when that happens we aren't there tut 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 i told you so you should have mm-hmm. um, you should have said what i done what i said i think if we can be in people's worlds to support them through that yep. we can actually win many back yep definitely yeah. All right. All right. That's 1 Corinthians 10. Now we're going to go to Luke Chapter something. 21. Luke 21. Luke chapter 21. Uh, so this one is, I'll just give a brief overview. So there's sort of three chunks in this one. First one, very start at very start uh one of the versions of the same thing uh can't remember where else it is off the top of my head it's in luke it's in matthew as well is it the and widow's mark? offering yeah is it um i'm not sure i think it's in mark. matthew is, is it, it mark? mark okay um i think it is in, also in mark one. right um yeah so pretty much widow coming forward and pretty much saying oh look at that widow you know they're giving you know two copper coins um but for them, that's all they have. That's all she had. Yeah. She gave more than everyone else. Yep, yeah. That's right. Uh, so that's the the first little chunk there. So that's just the Luke chucked his own version of that story. Which in, in, in essence, we, I mean, we don't have to spend a massive amount no. of time on it. The principle is that it's yeah. about equal – off. I often say it's about equal sacrifice, not equal amount. In yeah. this case, this woman sacrificed more than the ones who – maybe gave a lot more money, yeah. but they gave out of a big, even bigger abundance. Yeah. So it's about equal sacrifice, not equal amount. Look, yeah. That's what the Lord is looking for in Christians is a heart that is willing to sacrifice, whether that's time, finance or whatever. I think that's yeah. probably enough to say out of that, unless yeah. you've got other stuff you want no, to no, say. No, no, that was that's it. it in a nutshell, really. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So got through that part. Like, And I think, yeah, it's not to gloss over that. It's just because that's it's only four verses of this yes. whole yes. chapter this it's whole not chapter. it's not the the mark version is a lot longer as well like it gives a, l- it gives a, a bit more, more detail out. to it yeah. yes um so yeah so from verse 5 through to verse 28 um jesus is this is a lot of if you've got a bible in front of you with the red text this is a lot of red text this is a lot of jesus talking uh and then so he predicts the destruction of the temple um and talks about the difficulties that will come uh, before his second coming. Um, and then, so when he returns and including the persecution of his followers. Uh, so that's pretty much what this whole section is here. So we'll dive into that one a little bit more. Yep. And then at the end, um, it's talking, 
yeah, again, it's sort of a flow on from that a little bit where it talks a little bit about, um, it gives an illustration about the fig tree um, yep. and then talks about like this last chunk, which we'll come to. Uh, and this, this passage our hearts appears in uh, Matthew's gospel and yep. Mark's gospel as well. It's called the Ol- Olivet Discourse. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a, it seems to have been a time when maybe Jesus was sitting with them on the temp on, on the Mount of Olives. When I've been to the Mount of Olives, I'll often sit down with people and say, "This is where Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse." He's looking across at the temple. You can look yeah. at it, and and actually Jesus begins to teach them about the days that lie ahead for Israel, for yeah. for Jerusalem in in their own lifetime, even. Yeah, and he blends it. It's a mixture of you know stuff coming in the next couple of decades, blended with stuff that he seems to be talking about. You know his second coming. Yeah. yeah, it's all it's all quite confusing. Yeah, so I'm sure that there might be some weight. What's in here? Um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll just work our way through. So we're working down from verse five. Uh, so it's interesting. So he starts off talking about just the like this amazing, like the stonework of the temple and the decorations. Like that's where the disciples are talking about. Like just mm. how amazing. All like just how it looks. Oh yeah, and from where they would have been sitting on yeah. Mount of Olives, it did look amazing. Mm. Yep. And then Jesus said, "The time is coming when all things will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another." That was a shock to him. Yeah. What? You, gee, they've just been telling Jesus how good this temple is. Like, Jesus going, "Nah, this no, temple, it's, it's gone. It's going. The time's coming when it's going to come tumbling down." Yeah. And so they say, "When will this happen? What signs will show us that this these things will take place?" Uh, and then this is where he just, it's all Jesus here. So he starts talking through and says, uh, don't let anyone mislead you. Uh, for many will come in claiming my name, saying I'm the Messiah. My time has come. Uh, the time has come. But don't believe them. Uh, you'll hear of wars and insurrections and don't panic. Like, yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. So it's saying that there'll be a lot of things that are going to happen. So it's pretty much saying there's going to be time. Like not necessarily like what time? Who knows? Like yes, it's so far, but there is time. It's been a fair amount of time yeah. so far, um, but there is time. It's not a. Don't worry. It's not as though that I'm going to go and come back, and you've got no time to really go out there and do the things I've asked you to do. You have time to work through yep. and do that. Um, wars will go against. Like there'll be wars against nation, kingdom against kingdom, be great earth. Like so, pretty much just saying all these things are going to happen. Um, and then, and great miraculous signs from heaven. So it's not just all doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just going to be plagues and famines and everything else, but there's also going to be great miraculous signs from yes. heaven in, the, in this time. So this again uh, talks about that against, uh, was it the cessationists that said like, you know, that miracles land. Miracles end. Yep. Well, this is saying, Jesus just says the exact opposite here, that great miraculous signs from heaven. He could, they could still argue, but anyway, we're just... The, We'll move on from that one, but that's a another verse that sort of goes against what they say there. But but before this occurs, there'll be a great time of persecution. So this again, like so when we're looking at lament, is that Jesus even predicts that there will be a time of persecution. Yep. Um, and I think we were saying before, like we are living in that time of persecution. Persecution, pretty, yes. Yeah, pretty much between now and when Jesus returns, there will be persecution. Yep. We'll, that's everyone, right. everyone will face that. Exactly. Um, uh, you'll uh, you'll be dragged in, like so. This is for them. You'll be dragged in synagogues and prisons. You'll stand trial before kings and governors um, because you are my followers. Um, but this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So again, what we talked about earlier 
with the through the, with the Psalms is that even if you're in a hard time, you're still looking yep to Jesus for yep. them. When you're facing persecution, when you're facing persecution, it's going to be there. It's yep. going to be there. Um, but you know what? It's an opportunity for them for you to talk about me and who I am. Uh, but don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you, uh, for I'll give you the right words of wisdom. Pretty much, it keeps going on like that. You, you know, your brothers, relatives, friends—they'll betray you. Uh, some will even kill you. Um, <laughs> some, everyone will hate you because you're my followers. Um, not a not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. And you'll see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Uh, and you will know that the time of um, of its destruction has arrived. So it's this is where it starts getting into a bit more of a like a an, and like a end times, end times kind of, type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. The challenge with this passage, the Olivet Discourse, is that, uh, and you can just Google this and yeah. find there's different views on it. The, the basic question, as you read it, is how much is he talking about to the disciples about their lives and their mm. time, and how much is he talking about the times of the end? Yeah, and it's it's almost like you can't, it, you can't really go, oh, that specific, that part mm. specific to that time. That you yeah. can with a couple of points, but even then you can think of them as having progressive r- fulfillments. I was talking uh, with Simon, a recording with Simon from Thoreau yesterday, an episode that's not coming out till Christmas week actually, so it's still a few weeks away yet. Mm. But um, we we're talking about po- prophecy being progressive and repetitive. Yeah. So when Jesus is saying things about the temple, could it be also talking about the future? Yes, it could. Uh, you know, but he is specifically in the first instance, at least he's talking about a day that is yet to happen. I mean, this is about 33 AD or something. So 35, 36 years after this, 37 years after this, um, the Roman government, the Roman um, emperor Titus, well, he's not the emperor, he will become Caesar, but he comes in and he destroys and demolishes the temple and literally does what Jesus said pull every stone down, mm. strip it of gold and so on as a revolt against the Jews. And that's what Jesus is talking about in the first instance. But then it seems to move into more a bigger, grander yeah. picture, doesn't it, than yeah. that? It's not just all about that time. It's about a bigger picture. Yeah. And I think it's okay to wrestle with that. I What I tend to do, what I used to do is like look at newspapers and trying to compare and go what what's happening in the world that indicates this is happening. Mm. I would now say that's not the best way to read this. The best way to read this is to look at what Jesus is trying to do. And he's trying to encourage his disciples by letting them know that life's not going to be easy. We talk about lament. Life's going to be hard. You're going to be chained. You're going to be dragged before synagogues. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be misunderstood and misrepresented as you represent me. Um, But stand firm because in the end, I will win. And that's what he's saying, all this stuff in the future. Rather than worrying mm. about it, it's supposed to be an encouragement to us mm. to stay strong through our hardship and through our suffering now. Yeah. Like it went down at verse 28. So like, so when all these things happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. That's it. So it's that, you know, we will face a lot of things. Not not like Christian, non-Christian will face a lot of things in this world. But as a Christian, we have the opportunity then to – no matter what is happening, to be able to look up, see, yep, see Jesus. And so when we're suffering, yep, right keep now, keep your eyes up. Going in the end, mm. I'm on the winner's side. In the end, yep. I'm going to see the the victory of the Lord. That's yep. it's supposed to be pastoral. In fact, this is part of like I I, I know a lot of Christians are like are quite fearful of the Book of Revelation. Mm. Next year, we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the Book of Revelation, and I'm going to, I hope to be able to show people how it's less about 
some kind of mm. divine diary for the end times, yeah, yeah. some calendar, and how it's supposed to be a picture to encourage people to endure and succeed in life despite hardship and pain. Yeah, yeah definitely. Book of encourage, like is a book of encouragement and book of like. It, obviously, there's still like warning in there, like and you know, but it's like yeah, I, it's written in pastoral. So we're, yeah. I, for that same reason as this Olivet discourse, it's it's there to bring encouragement, not discouragement. But that encouragement comes mm. wrestle. Um, nestled in this hmm. teaching Jesus is giving is that life's not going to be easy. No. As a Christian, as one of my followers, you have to expect hardship. Yeah. You have to expect suffering. You have to expect that there'll be things that don't make sense. You'll have times of lament, but stay the course. Yeah. And that like, and I think probably to finish this chapter on is like, so verse 34, um, so watch out. Don't let your hearts be deluded by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that catch you um, unaware like a trap. For they, for that day will come upon every everyone living on the earth. <clears throat> Did I read that right? Yep. For that day, yep. uh, keep alert at all times and pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. So it's that that again. It's like the don't get caught up in what's going on in the world, um, whether it's things that are coming against you or things that you can get drawn into. Um, but then the worries of life, like, you know, we're all going to fight. Yes. I think that's something we probably don't talk about enough, but it's probably not in this podcast they're really going into. Like the whole thing of worry and anxiety is something that's so prevalent in our world. Yes. But again, yep. he's saying don't don't get caught up by the worries of the world. Don't let it catch you unaware. And again, keep alert, pray that you might be strong enough to escape these coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. So it's like the you're getting keeping yourself in a way that you know that you are – living out what it is that Christ has yep. placed before you uh, to then stand before the Son of Man. Yeah. yeah, and I think the key here is I see a, lot, see a lot of Christians actually deep down inside, they are worried about the horrors of this world. They will say things like, oh, it's hard news, and there's a lot of fear-mongering going on of we're in dark times and so on. Yeah. Well, Jesus is advocating your will, but if we look in what Jesus is saying, he's not saying – spend all your time worrying about how yeah. dark it is and talking and debating about how dark the days are. Mm. He's actually saying that's going to happen, but stay faithful to me. Stay, what does he say? Pray that you might be strong enough to escape them. Yep. So pray that, 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 that um, God might give you the ability to stand up underneath yep. the hard pressure and the persecution and the, not yep. rail against it. So I think that's what Jesus seems to be saying here. Yeah. End of it. Anything End of else it. you want to add there? No, no, that's it on that one. All right. So yeah, if you want to go into the Olivet Discourse in more, I think it's Matthew twenty four and twenty five. There's two full chapters on it in great yep. depth. So uh, it's worth studying that context if you're interested in going. Well, what's end times? What's what's Jesus talking about here? Get some commentaries on Matthew twenty four, twenty five, Luke twenty one, and Mark. I'm going to say Mark thirteen. But yeah, Mark thirteen. It is yep. Mark thirteen. There you go. That's my just guessing that. All right. So we're going to go back and finish up. In Lamentations. Three of the five chapters of Lamentations. Here we go. Yeah. Lamentation one. All right, here we go. Lamentations, chapter one. The Lamentations. Uh, the theme. Not the book of Lamentations. <laughs> it's the book of Lamentations. Yeah, definitely. And well, and then you mind don't you, wanna, I do mind a good Lamington every now and then. Yeah, you don't want to read the um, the Dessert City as the title for the the um, Dessert City, the Dessert City, the Book of Lamingtons. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Deserted City. Mind you, I, you know what I like at Lamington? I like a Lamington dipped in milk. Yeah, I'm not like that. Lamin, uh, 
I think the it's the coconut. Like I'm not a massive You're coconut You're not a coconut person. fan? So like I still have lamington sometimes, but like very rarely. But I like just I'm find that I get halfway through a lamington, it's just dry. It's yeah. a bit like – it's a bit. Like, I mean, lament halfway through my lamington because <laughs> yeah. it's just all dry. dry. So I think dip it in chocolate milk or something. Yeah. I used to – I get a lamington, put some milk on it. Yum. Anyway, yep. let's oh, uh, stop what, yeah. talking. Let's stop so lamenting about the la- lack of lamingtons we have, and let's look at the book of lamentations. Uh, so yeah, so um, a bit of an overview of lamentations. So uh, even beforehand, um, had a quick look at the Bible Project Bible video. Bible Project yep. video. I'm yep. like, what is it called? Yeah, I suggested literally yeah. have a crack at that. Yeah. So literally before we started recording, just quickly, just had a look at that as well. But I encourage you to again, um, it's a good overview of the book of those uh, the literal i think it was seven minutes overview of yep. lamentations yep. as a whole yep so there and you go bible project lamentations it'll come up yeah uh, it's the read scripture series with lots of beautiful drawings and things where tim yep. mackie just basically narrates the stories and it's a great yep. little great little one to watch yeah seven minutes on youtube yeah so pretty much just goes over that these are like very much like poetic that they're even written in a way that there's like a form and a style in which they're like the first four chapters, like they're one for each letter. Of, uh, there's a, the start of each verse is the one for each letter Aleph, of the Hebrew. Bit, and so yeah. on. Yeah. So ABC, like yeah. the Hebrew versions of ABCD. So yeah. we would have forms of writing like that. We did it in yeah. school where your first first line starts with A and the next one starts with B and C. That's how yeah. it's written. Is it, is it acrostic? Is that what acrostic, it's Acrostic, yeah. Acrostic. Yeah. So, so that's through um, – so chapters one, two – and four, there, which we we're not looking at two and four. We're looking at, we're looking at one, three, and five. But two and four hold exactly to that pattern. Um, chapter three has twenty two has sections, but it's sixty six verses. Says so three verses, right. twenty two. Still holds times. to the acrostic, acrostic pattern, but, but in a different way. Does yeah. it do three times through the alphabet? Yeah. Is that what it does? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think that's. Yeah. I think from memory, chapter one, chapter. Chapter one, chapter two, two and chapter, chapter four, four yep. have go through each through the Hebrew alphabet, alphabet once, once twenty two yep, letters. 22, yep. And chapter three goes through the Hebrew alphabet. It either has three verses under A, yeah, three I verses under B. Is that how it works? Something like yes, yeah, where it does it three times. Yeah. Or does yeah. it have it doesn't go A to A to A to Alpha to Omega yeah. or whatever, you know, no. whatever it is. I can't yeah. remember what the last Hebrew letter is. Yeah. It doesn't do it three times. It actually has three three yeah, lines so, under yeah. each. Okay, that's fine. But it's an acrostic form. And then from memory Chapter five, five is not, it's just random. Yeah, it's it's a random one, and they're saying that's more so. It's just the, um, oh, what was it? It's like the, the pa- level of grief they're like, facing. Yeah, it's just that it's so much that it's still written in poetic form, but it's not holding to that same thing. Right. It, it is still twenty two verses, so they hold to that form, but not acrostic. But not acrostic. Yeah, and I think from memory that's trying to. The intention is to try to. It's almost like Psalm eighty eight. It's just yeah. trying to end with this sense of despair because yeah. all it does it doesn't finish. It doesn't it finish with hope. Well, it sort of finishes unfinished. Okay, if gotcha. you would say so. Yeah. Like that's how it feels. Yeah, because yeah. it's that gotcha. finishing in that. In yeah, because they're still place. in exile. They're still yeah. in despair, and they're writing this song. Yep. Yeah. So they're pretty much. This is written like the not long after Babylon comes through and destroys Jerusalem and takes them as slaves. Like this is when this is written. So they're. You could say it's written by the rivers of Babylon, because yeah. there's you know that, the old song by the rivers of yeah. Babylon. That's actually ri- based on the Bible, where yeah. it actually I think that's in I think that's in Jeremiah, where we yeah. sat down by the rivers of Babylon and yeah. the, our captives said, "Sing us one of the songs of Israel." Yeah. And they said, "And we said, how can we sing the songs of Israel in a foreign land?" And we hung our harps on the trees, and yeah. it's this sense of we can't even write music because we're in despair. We feel yeah. like there's no hope for anything. 
And that's how it, w- it would have f- felt. Um, I think it's good to know as you read the Book of Lamentations, that context, yeah. that it was written at what would be regarded as the most dire time, the sense of which God had abandoned his people more than any other time, more yeah. than the Exodus, more than their time in, you yeah. know, in Egypt. It was the darkest moment in Israel's history when it mm. all it seemed like all hope was gone. And yeah. that's what the context of this song is. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Because Egypt was very much of their own making. They were like they chose to go to Egypt, mm-hmm. they settled themselves in there, and then just over time, yep. it got to the point where they became slaves. Yes. Where here, here they brought it on themselves because of their willful sinfulness. Yep. And then so Babylon just came and wiped them out. Yep. All right. So yeah, so chapter one. You, it's like the idea is that like it's personified as a, a grieving woman, like so a widow, uh, and who is grieving, and that's uh, so Jerusalem is the widow is yep. Jerusalem, widow city is of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, yes. So I think oh, what's the other? There's also another phrase they potentially use for grieving woman. It's is it maybe it's the lady of I can't sorrow or something? Yeah. Okay. So I'm sure it'll come up it'll if come up. we okay. get, go through. So uh, so yeah, it describes. Like Zion and her down. Oh, maybe it's Lady of Zion or something. Lady like that. Zion, Lady, okay. Lady, yeah, and her downfall uh, in the third person. So the first, like, and then while the second, so that's the first eleven verses, and then the second half is an individual lament in the first person, spoken by, uh, like the by Lady, Lady Zion, Lady Zion, like the Jerusalem. Okay, so the uh, first half of the chapter is being narrated about her. Yep. And then it changes as though she's writing herself. Yep. Jerusalem is writing the second half. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's good. Um, so, yeah. So, we'll just, I think, mm-hmm. read through. Uh, it is 22 verses, but it's, it's pretty quick. Yep. Yeah. And as, as we read it, mm. with that context in mind, I would just say to our listeners, if you're not going to read it yourself, listen to Jimmy read it mm. um, and just try to place yourself in the story experiencing the pain and grief that these people are facing when it seems like all their hopes and dreams have uh, God has abandoned them and there's no hope for any of their hopes. There's no chance of any of their dreams coming to pass. That's what they're feeling. So first one, Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once among among the great nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she's now a slave. She sobs through the night, Tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one left to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her and become her enemies. Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery. She lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down and she has nowhere to turn. The roads of Jerusalem are in mourning. The crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent. Her priests groan. Her young women are crying. Now bitter is her fate. How bitter is her fate. Her oppressors have become her masters and her enemies prosper. For the Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. Her children have been captured and taken away to distant lands. All the majesty of beautiful Jerusalem has been stripped away. Her princes are like starving deer, searching for pasture. They are too weak to run from the pursuing enemy. In the midst of her sadness and wandering, Jerusalem remembers her her ancient splendor. But now she has fallen to her enemy, and there is no one to help her. 
her enemy struck her down and laughed as she fell. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, so she has been tossed away like a filthy rag. All who once honoured her now despise her. For, their, uh, for they have seen her stripped naked and humiliated. All she can do is groan and hide her face. She defiled herself with immorality and gave no thought to her future. She now lies in the gutter with no one to lift her out. Lord, see my misery, she cries, to the enemy, the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has plundered her completely, taking every precious thing she owns. She has seen foreigners violate her sacred temple, the place the Lord has, the Lord had forbidden them to enter. Her people groan as they search for bread. They have sold their treasures for food to stay alive. O oh Lord, look, she mourns, and see how I am despised. And then, then to it the switches second, to the switches. second, first, back to the first, first person. person. Does it mean nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see if there, is, there is any suffering like mine, which the Lord brought on me when he erupted in fierce anger. He has sent fire from heaven that burns in my bones. He has placed a trap in my path and turned me back. He has left me devastated, racked with sickness all day long. He wove my sins into rope to hitch me to a yoke of captivity. The Lord sapped my strength and turned me over to my enemies. I am helpless in their hands. The Lord has treated my mighty men with contempt. At this command, a great at his command, a great army has come to crush my young warriors. The Lord has trampled his beloved city, like grapes are trampled in a winepress. For all these things I weep. Tears flow down my cheeks. No one is here to comfort me, and who might encourage me are far away. My children have no future, for the enemy has conquered us. Jerusalem reaches out for help, but no one comforts her. Regarding his people Israel, the Lord has said, Let their neighbours be their enemies. Let them be thrown away like a filthy rag. The Lord is right, Jerusalem says, for I rebelled against him. Listen, people everywhere, look upon my anguish and despair, for my sons and daughters have been taken captive to distant lands. I begged my allies for help, but they betrayed me. My priests and leaders starved to death in the city even as they search for food to save their lives. Lord, see my anguish. My heart is broken and my soul despairs. For I have rebelled against you in the streets, the sword, uh, the sword kills, and at home there is only death. Others heard my groans, but no one turned to comfort me. When my enemies heard about my troubles, they were happy to see what you had done. Oh, bring the day you promised when they will suffer as I have suffered. Look at all the evil deeds, Lord. Punish them as you have punished me for all my sins. My groans are many and I am sick at heart. Mm, well said, well read. So it's a powerful lament, mm. uh, um, capturing a deep level of emotion. And I think why it's useful for us, and we probably won't read all of chapter three, we'll be no. here all day. Yep. Um, and obviously we're only doing one, three and five, but, I think 
what's powerful for us is if we meditate on this, there's times where you feel like you're in exile. This whole concept of exile is a, is a biblical principle that's there from early stages of the Bible. Exile began in Genesis 3 mm. with Adam and Eve being exiled from the garden. It continues throughout the Bible. Um, and even to the New Testament, there's a sense in which today we still are exiles in this world. We're still exiles in Babylon. Yeah. We're still living in a world that is broken, in a world that is against the things of God, a world where there is pain and hardship. And so we can take these scriptures and go, regardless of whether we have caused our own exile or we have been exiled and it's got no fault of our own, the principle of understanding that and finding hope in the restoration of God that one day he will return the captives from exile is, is something that will help us endure. That theme alone will help us endure this life. How do we conduct ourselves in exile? How do we conduct ourselves in life when life is full of pain and hardship and has things that go wrong and has people misrepresent us and we find ourselves away from where we should be? We have this innate sense that we should be in Jerusalem. We should be in heavenly places. We should be experiencing it and we get glimmers of it, but then something horrible will happen. A bad report will come in, a medical report or, or some kind of persecution or hardship and it seems like we're find ourselves back in Babylon again. Yeah, This pattern is uh, not unique. It's a repetitive pattern in life. And so mm-hmm. these scriptures can help us with that. Because I know I'm thinking of some people, just as, even as I'm listening to this, some people are going some pretty hard things in their life, dark times. Mm-hmm. And um, if you can, if you don't know how to pray or what to pray, you can use these scriptures of lament that we're talking about and allow them to let them, let them pray for you. What did, you, what did you have in there? Anything stood out to you as you were reading? Um, no, or the I found the um, it was the lady, no, the vir, the virgin daughter of Israel, the virgin the, daughter of Israel. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so when it said the Lord has trampled his beloved city, it, like in the I think it's in the Hebrew, it says yeah, the virgin daughter, virgin of Israel. daughter of Israel, which is a poetic way of yeah. talking about G, uh, about Jerusalem in this in this uh, beautiful way, this yeah. pure way, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go to number three yeah. and we won't read the whole thing in chapter three because no. it's obviously a lot longer. But there is this one specific verse that's well quoted in three. We'll, we'll yeah. definitely touch on that one. So let's go there now. Okay, Lamentations chapter three. Two to go. Two to go. Nearly there. So this one, so we, of course, get to the actual notes for this chapter. So yeah, so it's the same poet, uh, poetic form, except it has three successive verses for each letter. As so it's A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 but in the Hebrew. In yep, the Hebrew, okay. Yep. That makes sense. Okay, so just an overview. So it has, um, so it sort of has five sections. So it goes, it transitions from uh, individual lament uh, into a transition from that sort of lament, that despair, to hope, and then into like then it's that um, understanding or contemplation of Yahweh's like God's sovereignty over suffering. Yep. So that God is greater than the than suffering, the suffering that they're facing. Sure. Then it moves back into a communal lament, a lament for 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 the whole of Jerusalem, I would say. Um, but we'll obviously get into that, like the communal, and then back into that back into an individual lament to finish. So that there's an interesting point, Jimmy, because, we, you know, a lot of the Psalms aren't written that way. You start in lament and end in hope. Mm. 
Now, this is using a different starting with lament, moving towards hope, but then moving back away from hope, back into lament again. Mm. So, there's a couple of things I'd add to that. As we, and you can read the structure of this, this, the the passage, the chapter, and you'll see that. I was just googling it, trying to remember. I thought it started with tri, but it doesn't. It starts with chi. It's called a chiasm, a very common form of Hebrew um, language. Uh, and you note there's five parts. So if you've got four parts, there's no middle in four parts. But there's a middle if you've got you've got your hand. Your middle finger is the third one. Mm. So what you just said there was out of those five parts, the middle one was that God is sovereign over hardship, mm. right? Yep. So that is the center point of a chiasm. What a chiasm does, uh, it's a literary structure used not just by the Jews. It's actually used by the Old New Testament writers as well because a lot of them were Jewish. I think Paul uses it a lot. Matthew certainly uses it a lot from memory. And what it does is you're supposed to read this thing of going in, nesting thoughts inside another. So you're starting with the thought of, um, you know, hopelessness, moving to hopefulness, moving to God's sovereignty, and then back away from that. And they understood that the middle point, the middle of the nest is the central point. So in this case, it's, even though it's ending with hopelessness, Mm. it's actually not literally ending with hopelessness. A good reader is actually taking away from it, the middle point, mm. which was actually pointing, it was like pointing towards that sovereignty of God and trusting yep. in that. So that's a very common scripture, the chiasm, C-H-I-A-S-M. This is a good example of that. Yeah. So in that first section, so this, like all starts off, I am the one who sees the Lord's afflic- uh, sees the afflictions that have come from the rod of Lord's anger. So this is pretty much saying like it's, and then it's, <laughs> you read through, if you're looking at it for in the NLT, pretty much every single line starts with he, 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 yep. he. God has he, done this. He, he. This is all God. Yep. <laughs> when it's not he, it's and, and then it's he, he, <laughs> he, he, he. It's like, it. Yes, it is. It, it's right. very much a. 12, 13, 15, 16 verses mm. of he. Yeah. So basically it's pouring out. Yeah. A blaming God. If for, you could, everything for, for everything that's gone going wrong. On. Yeah. Yep. Like, you know, he God has is the cause of all of this yeah. stuff. He has dragged me off the path and tore me into pieces, leaving me helpless and devastated. Like, it's just like all this stuff. And like, it's against everything that we think of when we are reaching out. Even if we are struggling with things, like if we're in that, in that despair, normally if we say we're going to blame God for something, mm. It almost like we almost feel guilty about blaming God for oh, it. Oh yeah, I, I know a few people who have yeah. been able to do it. I, yeah. I I honestly struggle with that. Yeah. If I'm going through a really hard time, I cry out to God and go, God, you got to show up for me. I can't yeah. handle this. This isn't yeah. going to work. But I've not been wired to think that God caused that. Yeah. Um, and part of that is this understanding that that you know it's often the result of fallen humanity. Yeah. That does that. Um, I I think it warrants further study though. Yeah. Because th- that's not how the ancient Jewish people thought. They 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 attributed a lot more good and bad to God. Yep. In today's world, uh, the number one question that Chris- that Christians get asked by non Christians is: If God is so good, why would He allow that, or why yeah, would why He cause that? Why did people? bad things happen to good people? Yeah. So we are wired to not think that a good God would cause bad things. Mm. But in the ancient culture, that they were, that was a different question. They weren't asking that. They were quite comfortable with the fact that a good God would cause bad things um, because they saw the hand of God in everything yep. as opposed to uh, just certain things just being a result of natural catalysts, yep. if you like. And I think maybe 
I, I actually don't know. I'm, I'm think as a Western thinker, I don't want to attribute bad stuff no. that happens to God, but I, ha- I have to read the Bible understanding that's how they did it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit like you. I wouldn't go around going, God, you caused this. I'd mm. go, God, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Help me with this. I've caused this or someone else has caused this, or this is just, you know, this illness yeah. or this disease that this yeah. person's facing is, is just part of living in a fallen world. I don't necessarily attribute it to God in the same way that, that these people did. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the challenge is that like, and I think this will be the, probably the hard thing for a lot of people reading it is that we don't ever talk about even like when we do touch on grief and lament and any of this sort of despair, we never talk about it as in like that we attack, like pretty much attacking God saying, you've done this yes. to me. Yes. Um, and I think that's the, that's going to be the challenge is that it's, it's, making it hard for me to think right now because I, because I'm trying to process it all. Like I don't think of that God bringing things against me. I always think of it as that things will come against me because of the, because we're in a sinful fallen world. Like things will come against all of us and God will allow that to come against me. But that's not what this is saying. But that's not what this is saying. No. So I actually think, we're not going to get the answer to this, but I actually think for me, but just even this conversation in the last couple of minutes, it warrants some further thought. I'd like to do some Mm. research into it. I I, I touched on that stuff I've said to you around, this is how the ancients thought, but I've never gone beyond that to go, okay, well, who's right here? Yeah. Uh, Are they right to attribute this to God? Mm. Because everything inside me goes, and I'm not going to attribute bad things to a good God. Yeah. Um, Which basically, if I'm going to say, you know, bad things aren't attributed to a good God, then I've got to basically say that the writer of Lamentations is wrong here. Yeah. And that might be so, Yeah, but I want to then, but then I've got to wrestle with, well, it's in the Bible. Yeah. So now it warrants some further thought for me. Um, I might have to do my own little research and look into yeah. that. I'm sure someone's written their PhD on it. Yeah, I'm sure someone. And like, and that's, again, it's the, like, it could be very contextual because that's the way of the world that they were living in is that, for us, when we say something, if we attribute something to God, it is something that directly that He is doing to us. Where is that the same? Con- is that the same meaning for for them when they are accusing God of doing yes. something to them? Is As it God that He's actually doing it? Is it because God's allowing it? Yes, is because it has happened. It has affected me, but God should be looking out for me for that. Like it yes, could be anything. It could be any of those. But the thing is, yeah. that, like, and that's thing I don't actually know. No, so, I don't know either. Yeah. So let's let's park it. But that's, let's, a so wait, let's, what? that's a Bible. What? That's a Bible. What moment <laughs> that requires some further thought? Yeah, I love that to, because I, yeah. I've said this multiple times on this podcast. When you're conflicted with those moments, like it says in the intro of this podcast, a lot of people go, "Oh, that doesn't make sense." I give up. Yeah. Whereas that's an invitation into deeper study mm. that will reveal. I, I suspect that some good study around that will actually reveal something of God that I don't know. Yeah. There'll be an aspect of God's nature that I'm about to dig deeper into yeah. and explore and find more. And it will help me during those hard times to yeah. know how do I process when life is hard? Yeah. When I've had to lament. Yeah. Anything um, else you want to pick out of there? Uh, not in that f- first section there. I mm-hmm. think that's probably because it's, yeah, I think we've sort of covered that in terms of I don't know if there's anything particularly we'll pull out of that other than the fact that there's a lot of despair and anger in there. Yeah. Like I guess anger is one anger that's is in a there. thing that thought that's there. Yeah. Anger towards God, yeah. Like and I think that's the something that we should be taking on board. Like cause that is a bit of a weight walk for a lot of people is that why should I be like the whole idea of anger and Christianity is very much a we're all like 
it's a hard thing to grasp because mm. we shouldn't be angry at people. Like, but then we always like this. I think, well, well, Jesus was angry. He went and flipped tables, but that was a righteous anger. It's like, well, what's the difference between righteous, righteous anger? And, yeah. and it's like, it's like that whole, like it becomes like this big discussion about, or, you know, how you view things and all this sort of stuff, but where it's okay to get angry about things. If that's coming from something, like if it's coming from a, an injustice or a, or, yeah, sure. a, or a grief, like you get angry, like to the point of like, but God's shoulders are big enough to take your anger. Yeah. God's shoulders are big enough to take your, anything that you want to do. Like, so the anger has to be directed in the right way. Yeah. Yes. If it's directed in, in a way that expresses your emotion to God, yeah. God can do something about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. I think that's probably where you can probably take that anger side mm-hmm. of things that are in there yeah. as well. Well, it's interesting, you know, you say that's the first part, but but the, it, what's interesting about this chiasm is you would expect the chiasm to be in verse 33 yeah. in the middle. It's actually in verse 22. Yeah. So it's actually one third into the chiasm. Yeah. I suppose it's it's one or so like, or it's, this is one fifth, but. Like, but it takes up one third to get yeah, yeah. to one fifth. Yeah. But it, it definitely is the center of the chiasm. Um, and it just takes longer to come back out the other side, but yep. it's but the point of the chiasm is actually the most famous scripture in the book of Lamentations. Yeah, uh, verse twenty-two. Mm. The faithful love. It actually starts with verse twenty-one. I yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends; His mercies never cease. Great is Thy faithfulness. I'm going back to the old yep. song. Great is thy faithfulness day at morning after morning. His, his mercies begin afresh each day. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. There you have the center of the chiasm. Yeah. No matter how dark it looks, the faithful love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new mm. every morning. I can wake up on the rivers of Babylon and I can go, it looks like it's all gone to, you know, where? It's like it's mm. all hit the fan, but yeah. his mercies are there for me today. Definitely. And then it gets, so that's that transition in from that despair, like acute, like pretty much just saying, God, you're the reason for all this. Yeah. But moving from that into this hope that like that, you know, your mercies begin afresh each morning. Like it's that, you know, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore I will hope in him. It's like the, it's moving from this. Actually, I reckon you're right. I reckon that's not the center of the chiasm. The center of the chiasm is the next couple of verses yeah. down. That's the hopeful part. That's part yeah. two of the chiasm. Yeah. This and then is we the center. You're and right. get into this, like, yeah. So, verse 25 onwards, verse 25 really onwards, where it's really focusing on the goodness, the, the goodness of, faithfulness of God. Of God. Uh, so, it, yeah. the hopefulness is the first part, but it's actually leading to a declaration yep. of the goodness of God. Yep. Um, so, what I might do, because this is 11 verses roughly, so I might read this section because this is the main section sure. uh, for, and I think because we've spent a lot of time talking about the lament, like the lament, like we took, and I, I think the important thing to take out of today is that really be sitting in that lament stuff. And I think we've give yourself space too. We've talked with about a that view a lot towards today. that, that yeah. ultimately that will bring you to a place of hope. Yeah. And so this is here being that the whole point of this whole chapter here is this chunk here. Yeah. So I'll, um, I'll read this from 25 through to verse 39. Uh, so it's not, my math is absolutely off there. It's actually 14 verses, not 11, but obviously I read that as a six originally. I'm not dyslexic. So there we go, as you can tell. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who, um, who depend on him, to those who, searched, uh, who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for the salvation from the Lord. And it is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipleship. That's an interesting... Discipline, yep. Dis- discipline. Uh, discipline, sorry. Yep. But yeah, yoke, that's an interesting thought there. Um, 
Let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demands. Let them lay face down in the dust, for there may be hope at last. Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them and accept the insults of their enemies. That's a link to Jesus. Yeah. Um, For no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. If people crush... If people crush underfoot all the prisoners of the land, if they deprive others of their rights in defiance of the Most High, if they twist justice in the courts, doesn't the Lord see all these things? Who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? Does not the Most High send both calamity and good? Then why should we, me humans, complain when we are punished for our sins? So that's that. That is definitely the yep. center of the chiasm. Yep. Absolutely. Which fits too with being more middle. It does encompass verse 33. Yep. So it encompasses the middle of these lines of this chiasm. And yep. I, I actually have never thought about this before, but I'm just thinking, I suspect that all five chapters are a chiasm moving to center, I would say, going yeah. backwards. So the first two and a half chapters are moving forward to that passage you just read. Mm. And that chapter five, four are moving backwards to that chapter that you just read as well. Yes, it do, yeah, because then, and we've probably done that without even thinking about it, in terms of choosing one, three, and five. Yes. Said, I think that because we'll see in chapter five. Two and five, four are quite similar. We'll see in chapter five is that it ends very down. Yes, as it starts. As it starts. Yes. So it's like that. It's it's yeah, like there's a chiasm, a greater chiasm, and then there are smaller chiasms inside I, of I that. I reckon that's the case. I yeah. reckon chapter three has its own chiasm, and the whole book, the five chapters are put together as a, a larger chiasm. And it makes sense why there's five chapters. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah five different poems. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. So that pushes us all towards folks, if you're going through a hard time, mm. there is hope. Yes. You will You will see and experience God. You can experience God. Whether or not you see the breakthrough in this life or not, for whatever you're facing, you can experience the hopefulness of God. We kind of feel yep. like we're summing it up. We've still got another one more to go yet. Still got but, one more to go, yeah. But uh, yeah, okay. So that's given that that is the crescendo mm. of the message. We're kind of we're doing a kaiser. We're going to go back to some depressive stuff now. Yeah. Like we started in Psalm 88, but yep. um, but with that purpose of remembering that today there is hope for you. Yeah. As you pour your heart out to God. So let's wrap it up in uh, in Lamentations five. Yeah. Lamentations chapter five, last one. Uh, so yeah, we just in between uh, doing some research. So even in Lamentations three, there's chiasms inside chiasms inside chiasms. Yes, yeah. I just had a look because I thought, well, let's talk a bit more about these chiasms. And yeah, it would appear the whole book is a chiasm. It would appear that what we said that the center of the book is a chiasm. Lamentations three pointing towards that. And then the one that I thought was the chiasm, which was mm. verse 22, 23, 24, the mercies mm. of the Lord, that itself, those three verses are themselves a chiasm. Mm. So a chiasm, the thought flow is A, B, C, B, A. Yep. So uh, that's that's how they work. So mm. you can see this. Anytime there's a pattern of five, there's a good chance there's a chiasm there, A, B, C, B, A. Yep. Yeah, there's probably lots of others too, but it's a very common literary uh, technique that was used in ancient times. Mm. And which, like, 
really, unless you do a lot of diving, deep diving into it, it'd probably be a bit hard for us we, to see all of them. Yeah. We'll see, be able but to that's see why it's some. called meditation scripture. We're supposed yeah. to chew it over and, mm. and do it slowly, not just do it super fast like I do. You know, yeah. we're supposed to take time with it. Okay, so um, chapter five. So I'm just going to do a quick overview of chapter five. So this last one is not an, acrost uh, an acrostic format, similar to the, what the others had been. Uh, it still holds to 22 verses, mm -hmm. um, but is very much different to um, to the others. So this is still a poem, though. But it's yeah. So it's talking about um, what is happening in Judah at this time. So overrun by invaders, oppressed by um, the conquerors. Uh, the imagery that they use just highlights just this chaos and everything going complete return that from that inv um, invasion where the strong um, oppress the weak, um, land and property are seized, um, women are raped, like leaders are executed and humiliated. Um, they like, and they acknowledge the sin of the nation's ancestors. So it owns the sins that they've done, but protests the punishment that they are facing, Okay, um, that they feel as though like they're so facing a bit more punishment than, than they what deserve. they okay. deserve or that, we're getting punished for their I forefathers okay, as well. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Um, so that's in roughly around verse seven, uh, mm -hmm. and then uh, the poem ends with a plea to God for rest of restoration, but concludes with just a really still weird ending, like, like not a like yeah, a not a weird ending, Have like you a, utterly rejected us? Are you yeah. still angry with us? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like. That's how it ends. Yeah, with no no expectation of an answer, just that. Yeah, okay. Mm. Which is quite similar to how it started. That's yeah. definitely a chiasm there. Yeah, it ends with this sense of uh, I have no idea which direction to go. Yeah, yeah, okay. But you're supposed to be reading that backwards towards the middle of the chiasm rather than forwards thinking. Yeah, which our brains work. The last line is the last thought. But it's actually a repetition yep. of the first thought. It's A again. Yeah, pushing backwards towards B. Yeah, yeah, A B C B A. Yeah, okay. That's mm. that makes sense. And I'm just reading through it. It's, it's pretty dark, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, so I yeah. don't think we'll necessarily jump into – pull out like all the verses and stuff like that, but we'll look at the – roughly the themes that I suppose that are there mm -hmm. because there's no – like it's more of the – yeah, looking at the idea of what this talking about because we quite, sort of talked about it with the first the, one. It, uh, we did. It's one, very sorry. similar to chapter one. Yeah. But it's quite similar in the sense that of some of the early Psalms we were looking at. Was it Psalm 88 mm. right at the start? Which it covers the full range of – it's, mm. it's one single event. It's the exile. It's the capture of Jerusalem. Yep. But it covers all the ramifications of that anxiety, despair, loneliness, yep. um, rape and pillaging, death, yep. suffering. It's all covered because of this one event. So that's why I think we can apply it to our lives because we can all face, we can all identify with it. Hunger, mm. which is financial strain, all that sort of, yep. it's all in there, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. So the first sort of six verses very much talking about just all the all those things, all the things that are going wrong, um, everything that's happening to them, like they have to pay for water to drink, mm. um, that they had to submit themselves to Egypt and Assyria so they can get enough food to survive, and then which is like completely giving yourself over to yeah. the two biggest enemies at the time, yeah, yeah, and then it gets to verse seven, which is like that our ancestors sinned, like acknowledging that, um, but they have died, so like. The but we're getting have, what they deserved. Yeah, but now we're suffering the punishment they deserved. Mm -hmm. So like that, God, like we understand, like we understand that we, like, you know, the, the sins that have come before us and everything that they have done to means that we're in this situation now, but we're suffering for, mm. you know, the punishment. Uh, and like that's a thing to sort of suffer in, like sitting, I think, for people will be 
potentially in that situation where they're suffering, potentially feel like, you know, the punishment for what something else, someone else has done. Yes. Yes. True. Yeah. Um, and I think in church life, I think probably a lot of the, th- if something is coming out of church life um, where that's causing you grief or suffering probably is something that was done by someone else. Yes. Often that's the case. It's some yeah. someone else's sin, mm. poor choices that has caused you grief. Yep, yeah, that's right. Um, so that's the, uh, and that's where like so many things where we talk about um, just because someone is suffering or having to grieve or having to go through things isn't always something that they've brought on themselves. It's something that can be from the outside and that like we should not be, uh, I suppose, like judging them on the things that they're going through. Oh, those people got themselves into their yeah. own mess by their own poor choices. Yeah. So I like to say on that, I, I like to say two things. Firstly, I've been around life long enough to know that uh, lots of people have hardship come upon them that aren't their own poor choices. Mm. And then I often, t- when people say, oh, they brought it on themselves, I'll, I'll sort of smile and go, and? Like, and the question I ask myself is, even if they did bring it on themselves because of their own poor choices, how does that change the response that a Christian should give? Because when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah. You know, we, our own poor choices didn't stop Jesus from giving up his life for us. Mm. So I think I I push, I push the envelope a little bit there because sometimes it comes from a sense of pride. Yeah. Whereas I go, well, look, even I've made lots of poor choices. I'm grateful for the grace of God. Maybe I need mm. to be the grace of God in someone else's poor choices rather than you got yourself yeah. into that mess. Now you're going to have to get yourself out of it. I'm just so grateful I didn't have to get myself out of my mess, but the grace of God yeah. got me out of it. Yeah. Let's be that to others. Yeah. And so that's where, so we'll look at the sort of the next section that comes through. It's really, yeah, this is where it talks about some more of that stuff. So it's like, it's saying that it was like talking about all these things that are going on for us. We're suffering for this. Like this wasn't something that we put ourselves in. And then it still then talks about all the things that have been going wrong and all things that are coming against them, like the humiliation and, and everything else. And then it goes there, yeah, verse 17, our hearts are sick and weary and our eyes grow dim with tears for Jerusalem is empty and desolate, a place haunted by jackals. But the Lord, you remain the same forever. So even has a little bit of hope in there. You remain yep. the same forever. Your throne continues from generation to generation. Why do you continue to forget us? Why have you abandoned us for so long? Restore us, O Lord. Bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. Or have you utterly rejected us? Are you angry with us still? It's a finishing with, there's a glimmer of like of hope that, Okay, we know, like, in that acknowledgement that you remain the same forever. You will be your your throne continues from generation to generation, like, uh, like, and then still calling to restore us back, bring us back to you again, give us back the joy we once had, but still acknowledging where they, yep. where they're sitting. It's that they're sitting in this lament in yes, this situation. Correct. Yep. Uh, definitely. Mm. I'm looking at those last three verses and I reckon that's a little, it's a little one. Yeah. That's a little chiasm. Why do you continue to forget us? Why have you abandoned us? This is just an ABA chiasm. Yeah. Restore us, O Lord, and bring us back again. Give us the joys we once had. That's a positive. That's B. Then back to, or have you utterly rejected us? Are you angry with us still? That's yeah. back to A. So there's a little ABA there. Yeah. So if you look at it in that, that perspective, once again, 
almost right at the end of the whole book, mm. is a little glimmer of hope. Yep. That last little mini chiasm's not ending with, are you angry with us still? It's yep. ending with, restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Yep. Give us back the joy we once had. That's yep. what the, the cry is. I, yep. I would love to sit down with that book and do some chiasm searching yep. and see if it looks different. I suspect it does. Yeah, I would I suspect say so. it's brilliantly written mm. piece of literature, which I think is beautiful because we miss this with songs because we don't um, we think all our songs have to be happy clappies. Yeah, I think this now this, look. There's been some more recent songs that allow space. I think that's probably one of the things that I've seen in more recent years with elevation worship music mm. was that they there was a notable noticeable shift. I think in a lot of Christian music when I saw elevation worship, it seemed like they changed still hopeful messages, but they changed their worship to, you know, walking around these walls and have we still seen the break? We haven't seen the breakthrough mm. yet. And there was space for people to sit in the hardship of life. And I yep. think that is what actually ultimately probably largely led to the success of their music is people could identify with that. It was otherwise there was a lot of just get over it, happy clappy. This, this was giving space and permission for people to realize that I can sit with the pain of life and find hope through the pain of life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's about it, I think. Yeah, that's it. We are done, folks. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Jimmy, for today. Some thanks, good thoughts on lament. I know that was a pretty tough subject, and I think, but an important subject. So yeah. we'll spread the word, and hopefully a few people will pick up on that one and be able to um, to apply that to their lives and get some help out of it. Yep. Thanks for being with us. We, we've got another one before Christmas, haven't we? Yes. We do. We'll do that when I get back from holidays, yes. <laughs> ready to go. All right, see you, everyone. Have a great week.